Blog Talk Radio. And here's the problem. The same fate awaits any man that walks into the beast's lair and tries to take away from Brock Lesnar the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. And it's almost an unfair fight to begin with. Because anybody that steps into this ring is just a challenger. Just a man. My client is not a man. My client is the beast. And this beast will lay wreckage to any man that tries to take that title away from him. Which means the same beating awaits which makes every single title defense by Brock Lesnar not only must see, but can't miss. Now, if you're too cheap or too stupid or too blind or too ignorant to spend $9.99 on the WWE Network, let me tell you what happened last night. My client, Brock Lesnar, imposed his will on John Cena, and this Ladies and gentlemen, is what they call basic Brockonomics. Eat, sleep, suplex, repeat. 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 Brock Lesnar lives by the motto, eat, sleep, suplex, repeat. Eat, sleep, F5, repeat. Eat, sleep, victimize, repeat. Eat, sleep, beat, repeat. Eat, sleep, conquer, John Cena. And good evening, everybody, and thank you for joining us here tonight on King Jordan Radio. It is August 19th, 2014. As you heard, Paul Heyman, as I predicted, Brock Lesnar became the new world champion. And we're going to talk about SummerSlam. We're going to talk about Raw. Hogan, Sting, much, much more. But before I do that, I got to remind you about a couple of things. Tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we will have here Joey Jackson, who hosts uh, CNN's uh, uh, HLN Now show, to talk about the big uh, story that's going on in St. Louis uh, uh, with the Michael Brown situation. Also, one week from Friday is the Michael Jackson tribute show with the uh, birthday, and uh, we'll have Tom Mizero 
and the bodyguards and Aphrodite Jones and a lot of others. So uh, follow us at uh, Mr. King Jordan and uh, King Jordan Radio on Facebook. But at this time, we're going to be talking wrestling. So without further ado, let's bring in our uh, dream team. First of all, from Chicago, he is our wrestling insider. He's one of the best in the business, oh, ladies and gentlemen, Double J, JJ. Good evening, JJ, and welcome back to King Jordan Radio. How are you? Hey, thank you, King. Great to be on. So much to talk about, like you said. Uh, if you've been paying attention to social media or any news entertainment show, you've heard above the ALS uh, Ice Bucket Challenge. It is a sort of a fundraising campaign that really has gone viral and has become this Internet sensation. It's all about spreading awareness and helping research Lou Gehrig's disease. So many uh, celebrities from Oprah to Bill Gates to Mark Zuckerberg, uh, LeBron James, and more, including uh, wrestlers, have taken part in this challenge and have donated money. You can go on YouTube and see all the various uh, videos. Wrestlers like The Rock, Batista, The Miz, Triple H, Vince McMahon, Stephanie, Maria Menounos, Tori Wilson, Lillian Garcia, David Otunga, Christian, Bo Dallas, Beth Phoenix, and CM Punk, as well as Dixie Carter, Kurt Angle, and even if you remember a few years ago when the WWE had Team Hell No and they had Dr. Shelby, Dr. Shelby did the Ice Bucket Challenge. So everyone is getting in on this really great cause. Uh, also big news with TNA and the switch that Impact Wrestling, which of course used to be on Thursday nights, is now uh, Spike TV has moved TNA Impact wrestling to Wednesday night. So if you want to see TNA Impact, you have to watch it this Wednesday on Spike TV. Another big earth-shattering news, Bully Ray. Bully Ray's contract with TNA is up. Whether or not he re-signs, yeah. renegotiates, that has yet to be seen, but so much to talk about. What a great show, especially SummerSlam Raw. It's just, uh, like I said, so much to get into. Yes, and let me bring in uh, another member of the Dream Team. Don't know who it is. It's either Blackjack or Dominic. And uh, let's go to line four. You're on. Dominic? Brother King. Blackjack? Brother King. Okay. Brother JJ. Hello, Blackjack. What's going on, man? All right. How's it going? Good. Okay. So uh, let's... uh, Let's start off uh, with the uh, SummerSlam. And correct me if I'm wrong, JJ, during the main event, there were chants of boring. (laughs) You are correct, uh, King. There were chants of boring during the Brock Lesnar-John Cena World Heavyweight title match. Uh, A lot of that is due to the fact that I think a lot of people were expecting the match that Lesnar and Cena had at Extreme Rules. It was an unbelievable match in 2012. Just brutal, physical. I mean, Lesnar and Cena going back and forth. It was an Extreme Rules match. Uh, There was blood. Can you believe uh, blood in the WWE PG era? And a lot of people thought we were going to see that again. But instead, what we got was Brock Lesnar, the man who just defeated the Undertaker's streak. 
You know, 21-1. and I mean, he's coming off the biggest win of his career. He is a beast. He is a monster. And if you've been watching WWE programming the last few weeks, you know that the WWE has been building up and promoting John Cena as their greatest champion in 50 years. I mean, they are billing John Cena because he's a 15-time world champion within the WWE, that he is the greatest champion of all time in their 50-year history. And here comes Brock Lesnar, and he basically just destroys and decimates Cena. Cena put in very little to any offense at all in the match. And all you really saw was Brock Lesnar just German, German suplexing Cena, which they even reported that the Brock did about 16 German suplexes to John Cena. I mean, it was a completely one-sided uh, fight. I mean, I couldn't even call it a fight. It was basically like, you know, when we used to see Ryback challenge those jobbers, you know, a, a couple of years ago. This was your greatest champion that the WWE had in 50 years. 15-time world champion, and Brock Lesnar ran through him like he was a jobber. It was something that I've never oh. seen. Even Oli said that, you know, in all my years of watching, you know, wrestling, I've never seen a one-sided heavyweight title match in the WWE. I mean, even a few years, uh, maybe a decade ago, when Kevin Nash beat Bob Backlund in, you know, in five seconds, I think, in Madison Square Garden, uh, this has to be even more unbelievable just because John Cena is really the face of the company. He's Superman, and he just got, you know, completely railroaded by the beast incarnate Brock Lesnar. It, was, it wasn't the most exciting match just because it was so one-sided. There wasn't really a back and forth. You know, Cena did his attitude adjustment. He did his STF, and that was it. That was almost the only moves of, you know, offense and defense that he put in. He was just a victim to Brock Lesnar. The WWE was really pushing the fact that Lesnar is a unstoppable beast. He, uh, Jim Ross actually did a blog and said that, you know, now that Brock has defeated the streak, you know, everybody assumed that no one would defeat the streak. It was impossible. Taker would always win at WrestleMania. And I think that Brock Lesnar has sort of become the new Undertaker. He's become the new Phenom. He's become the new Streak. He's the new Impossible. Uh, they're trying to build Brock Lesnar as somebody who just can't be touched and that no one in the WWE will be able to beat him. And the fact that he just deliv delivered a beating uh, to John Cena at SummerSlam like that, where Cena put in little to no offense at all, I mean, they're really building Brock as this monster, and I think there's definitely a change uh, going on because now we all know that Brock probably won't be defending the title every week. He won't be there every month. We're not really sure what you know his obligations are now that he's champion, but that just makes the world title picture stand out a little bit more because if you see Brock Lesnar on Monday Night Raw, if you see Brock Lesnar at a pay-per-view, it becomes a much larger attraction. You're more likely to tune into that event just because you know it's so rare. It really puts uh, much more importance on the world heavyweight title, whereas before if Orton or Cena were champions, say, oh, okay, it's just the same old, same old. Well, we're not getting that with Brock Lesnar because we don't know what we're getting with Brock Lesnar. It's kind of new, and it gives the WWE an opportunity 
to sort of create new challengers and to really develop them in becoming, you know, main event stars. Some guys are going to have to refine their game and uh, really push themselves to be, you know, main eventers. Others might have to be repackaged. Some will have to be rejuvenated. But it's a very interesting time in the WWE. I know a lot of people aren't happy that a part-timer is your world champion. But uh, the fact is, this is something different. And different is good. I think there needs to be a change in the WWE. And this could be it. Uh, I I don't know what's going to happen next. And that's kind of what's exciting. Yeah, and uh, if you go back to time, uh, Hulk Hogan, when he was in Nitro, WCW Nitro, he hardly defended that title, maybe uh, just at the pay-per-views, even if that wasn't anybody defended. And a lot of people, you know, bitched and complained about that. But Mm -hmm. uh, it's more more interesting to see Brock on a – lesser scale. I'll tell you why, because when you see somebody shoved in your face three hours and then two hours on Friday and and with the main event here, there, it's it's mm-hmm. oversaturation. And yeah. that's why it's good to have Brock come in once in a while. You know? Yeah. I mean, they should do that with a lot of the wrestlers, like the big ones at least. Oh, exactly. I agree 100%. I think that's why a lot of fans are still fans of guys like Chris Jericho, someone who we don't see very often, who comes in maybe once a year for a couple of months. Same with Rob Van Dam. We don't see uh, RVD, you know, 300 days a year, but when we see him for that 90 days here, 90 days there, you know, it's great. You know, it really uh, is good for him. It's good for his body to heal up and to continue to do those amazing things we see him do in the ring and mix it up with new talent. You know, it's very important. I think, uh, like you said, you know, Brock coming in, you know, every so often, not every week, you know, it just, it definitely adds, you know, something more special. It makes it feel important that you really do have to tune in because it's not something you will see every week. It's something that will be rare. And, you know, that's definitely a good thing. I can't uh, complain. As you were pointing out, you know, I was uh, watching some of the WWE uh, Raw shows back from 93 on the WWE Network. And at the time, Bret Hart was the champion. Bret Hart didn't defend the title every Monday Night Raw. In fact, there were some Monday Night Raws, of course, back then when they were doing the tapings at the Manhattan Center. You know, they did two or three tapings a night. So Bret would maybe be on one show, and then you wouldn't see him for another two weeks. So uh, this isn't something new. This might be new to a lot of new fans of this generation who aren't used to that, who are used to seeing, you know, two world heavyweight champions, who are used to seeing the champions every week, you know. But to old school fans who have been around and seen this, this isn't exactly new. This is actually them going kind of old school and really making the title, you know, valuable and important. And, you know, that's what the world champion should be. He shouldn't just be someone who has a title and, you know, it's not important and who cares. You know, I can, oh, it's just him on the show. I, you know, I'll watch next week or something. You have to watch it now because you don't know when he'll be back. <laughs> yes. Uh, I do want to get back to SummerSlam, but Blackjack uh, was talking about Hogan possibly having one more match. And now there are rumors about Let's take a listen to this clip and debate it on the other side. Howard from Borehamwood, England. Man, I, I have more UK fans than the WWE Network. 
I read recently that Hulk Hogan is training for one more match, and he wants it to be against John Cena. I know Hogan having a match is unlikely anyway, with the chances of WWE doctors passing him fit to compete very slim, but I was thinking about it, and it actually would not be too bad of an idea. If it does happen, it would most likely be a WrestleMania 31, which would mean that Cena would be kept out of any title matches or main event final card matches, so that many people are bored of seeing him would like that. Secondly, it would make the card look very strong with a potential Sting vs. Undertaker match, coupled with Hogan vs. Cena, so that could draw people to buy the pay-per-view or subscribe to the network. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are this. Hogan has always claimed that there's going to be one more match. <clears throat> I think if Hogan were on his deathbed with tubes hooked up to him, he would still be saying, one more match, brother, one more match, it's going to happen, never say never, and then he would croak. But you know, he has to say that. He has to keep hope alive, right? He wants to keep people thinking that one day there'll be another Hulk Hogan match because it keeps him relevant. And maybe in his mind, he really does think that. Maybe he really is training for a match at WrestleMania next year. I predict that even if that's his intent, there's no way they'll clear him to wrestle a match. I, I just, I can't see it. Eight back surgeries, the way he walks around, they're going to clear him, medically clear him for a match? I don't see it. Now, if they did and it was going to be a smoke and mirrors type of deal, yeah, Hogan versus Cena would be a big-time match. I think it would be a draw. I think there's enough people out there who maybe don't know the extent of Hogan's injuries or just don't care. He's still a big enough name and a big enough star, and if they build it up as the, the true final match of Hulk Hogan, like this is it. After a 35-year career, this will be his final match, so you better order this show. You better buy a ticket. I definitely think it would be a draw. I don't think it would be a good match, but it would be a draw. That, Sting versus Undertaker, if they do it again, may not be a good match, but definitely would be a draw. But you better have a hell of a third match to round out that top of the card. <laughs> if you're going to put Hogan versus Cena and Sting versus Undertaker on the same show, uh, even with all the star power, as much of a draw as those matches may be, uh, match quality is going to leave a lot to be desired. So you better have like a big-time, guaranteed blockbuster in-ring match to carry the load at the top of that card. And I'm not sure Brock Lesnar against Roman Reigns is that match, so I think they may have to go in a different direction if, if that were to actually happen. But again, I don't think Hogan's going to ever be cleared for a match in that company ever again, so it's a, a moot point. Tom? Well, JJ, uh, what's your thoughts on this possible scenario with Hogan coming back for one last match again? I know, uh, like I said, I try to follow uh, a lot of the, the guys on Twitter, and I know Hogan is usually posting photos of himself at the gym working out. Uh, he does want that one more match. We heard uh, Blackjack confirm it last week uh, through his sources that, you know, Hogan you know, wants to – he has that itch. He wants to get back in the ring, and it could happen at WrestleMania. Uh, I don't know, like, uh, like uh, they were saying in that clip, you know, this is a different time, a different age. Hogan has to pass – the uh, physical. He has to pass WWE's physical. If he can pass the physical, then obviously, yes, I think without a doubt they want to have that one more match. I was watching uh, this past weekend the WWE 2K15 uh, panel, which was much different than last year, by the way, but uh, Hogan was there, and uh, Renee Young and Stone Cold Steve Austin were the hosts of the panel, and they talked to Hogan, and they said, if you could have one more match 
who would it be? And he flat out said John Cena. He wants to get into the ring uh, with John Cena. Whether or not the WWE wants that or whether or not they go in a different direction, whether or not they have Lesnar and Hogan or somebody else, maybe Hogan Sting. Hogan Sting for the first time ever in a WWE ring. Uh, you know, I don't know, but if Hogan can pass the physical, I think without a doubt we'll see him one last time in the ring. But if he can't pass that physical, then the only way they're going to get him in the ring, and it wouldn't be much of a match, but they would really have to protect him, and he couldn't really take any bumps at all. I mean, much like when Bret Hart came back and had his match with Vince McMahon, a lot of people said, oh, that was Bret Hart's worst match. He's a has-been. People don't understand that much like Hogan, Hogan who's had countless back surgeries, knee surgeries, uh, hip surgeries. You know, Bret Hart suffers from post-concussion syndrome. He can't get, he can't take a bad bump. He can't bump his head. It could be a a life-threatening injury. It could really be uh, scary for him. So when he wrestled Vince McMahon, when he wrestled even The Miz for the United States title, they protected him so well that he didn't take any unnecessary risks. He didn't take any bumps, rewatched the, the matches. He never fell. Uh, he never bumped his head. He was always very uh, careful. The WWE, like I said, they protected him. So for Hogan to be in a ring and not, you know, pass the physical, they would really have to protect the hell out of him. He would have to watch exactly what he did. He couldn't take any bumps. So it really wouldn't be much of a match, but at the same time, it's going to sell tickets. Anytime you put Hogan in the ring, especially WrestleMania, it's going to draw. So uh, will we see Hogan in the ring? I'm not sure, but if he can pass the physical, I think, yeah, it's definitely it definitely could and very well happen. And uh, Hogan always likes to be in the ring when he is with the guys that are relevant. Case in point, yeah. he fought The Rock uh, at WrestleMania 18 when The Rock was the biggest thing going. He fought yeah. Shawn Michaels in 2005 when Shawn was in top of his game and he was, you know, one of the big, big guys. He liked fighting The Undertaker. He always wanted to fight the guys. So yeah. right now... I guess you could say he is the guy, you know, besides Brock Lesnar. And, uh, but he already did that match already with Brock Lesnar. That's the only thing. And as far as with Sting, he also wrestled Sting countless times on Nitro. So, look, uh, I'm sure he could put together one more match. I don't think it'll be that great. But nonetheless, like the, uh, the guy said, uh, it would draw. It would mm-hmm. definitely pique some interest of the old school nostalgia fans. Oh yeah. And uh, I don't, what do you think, Blackjack? You got people in my age group that's not involved with the network as of yet. Case in point, such as myself and other people that I know, they don't. They're not involved with that network. And Hogan pushing that network as best as he can. Every yes. time he goes out there, the network. And yes. at this point Let me time, tell you, yes. Let me get into that. SummerSlam opened up, and Hulk Hogan was a walking commercial for the WWE Network. I mean, 
it's almost like embarrassing for Hulk Hogan, who is the Babe Ruth of wrestling, to but come out there. But that network is the people that are paying his, his, his tickets there. That network is the people that have things there as well. Ric Flair. I agree. Uh, Paul Orndorff. You saw what happened on, on Hogan's birthday. Yeah. He pushed it then at that point in time. So if you had a match between right. Brock and uh, and Hogan, it would definitely sell out. Definitely, without a question of a doubt. But will they go that far with it? Will Hogan allow himself to be put in, in that situation? There's a good possibility. You know, you never say so never. Was, uh, That's what you say in the world. He was 48 years old. That was say some again? time ago. What that was, was 2000. That was 2002 when Hogan yeah. fought The Rock. So, you but know, Hogan was old. Can you imagine That's Rock all. putting Hogan up on, on those uh, suplexes? How oh, many do you think Hogan can take? You think he can mm. take one or two? Oh, man. Now, realistically, well, I don't think that match will happen. But then yeah. again... Uh, as far as the network goes, maybe there might be a, a way for Hogan to... But at this point in time, you, you put with Rock in there, with any, with, excuse me, with anybody, he'll sell it out. It's going to be sell out regardless of what the main event will be from next year's WrestleMania. And uh, it, it's kind of obvious to, to see what, what's going to happen. Yeah, you're going to be more by rates, I think. And Sting Undertaker, you know, not the greatest matches, but definitely four bigger, the big stars. These things are coming to the to the point where you got these games. Let these yeah. games take the, the 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 force and brunt of the wrestlers inside the ring. It, it, it can't happen realistically. I mean, the bodies aren't uh, made like it. You know, it, it's wearing down. It's tearing up, man. Yeah. You got to keep well, forgetting about that. Both Sting and Hogan want one more match. Yeah, they do. You know, you you want one more match, but realistically, for for even for their for for their own sake, I don't yeah. think it's it's going to happen at this point in time. We're talking about like uh, almost a year to uh, to Mania. Yeah. Well, we. Should. You never say never, but just as man. I said, yeah, I agree event. with that. And this is the wrestling world, you know. Anything is liable to happen. So you, you might, don't forget what happened at that birthday. There's an angle to, to come out of that with Brock and Hogan. Hogan yeah. may cause uh, Brock to uh, lose that title, you know. But I don't, I don't think Brock will, will want to go with that with cheap shots of losing that title like that. He don't want that money in the bank guy coming in there, beating him for that title. No. Absolutely. Okay, let's get back to SummerSlam. I got a lot of mixed uh, messages through my Twitter and Facebook and people who I spoke to. JJ, uh, what did you think of SummerSlam uh, from a scale of 1 to 10? Ten being the absolute best. What did you think? 
Uh, you know, I enjoyed SummerSlam. I thought they put on uh, some nice matches. Uh, some matches could have been better. Uh, I was a little bit confused uh, on the flag match because I thought it was going to be a traditional flag match where you put the flag on the yeah, corners exactly. of the burn post, but uh, they didn't go with that. But uh, overall, I enjoyed what uh, they provided us. The pre-show with Van Dam and Cesaro was uh, excellent. Uh, Ziggler and The Miz was also pretty, you know, pretty good. Uh, it was nice to see Ziggler get a big win. Uh, the Divas, I thought Paige and AJ Lee could have done a better job. I thought they did a good job, but uh, I think it could have been a lot better. Uh, like I said, the flag match, uh, I wasn't really sure what they were going for. They kind of changed the rules a little bit. But I didn't have a problem with Rusev winning because obviously they're trying to push him as this monster. They're trying to keep him relevant, especially with everything going on in the news with Russia and the Ukraine. But uh, the Seth Rollins-Dean Ambrose match, wow. Those guys stole the show. They had probably one of the most fun uh, lumberjack matches that I've ever seen. Uh, it was just a blast. These guys, I mean, the whole point of a lumberjack match is to keep the superstars in the ring, and this match just went all over the arena. It was just a, a wild brawl, and uh, it was uh, just a lot of fun. The, the, the lumberjacks got involved, of course. Uh, Kane, the director of uh, operations, got involved, and uh, it was just a really great match that helped uh, elevate the show. You know, like I said, it was a good show, but up until that match, it, it suddenly then got a lot better. And uh, even uh, the Jericho Wyatt, uh, that was a, another good match. Uh, this one was more split between the fans. It was more 50-50. I thought uh, last month Jericho had the fans uh, in his corner. This month, a lot of the fans were following the buzzard, so to speak. And uh, Bray had uh, the fans, you know, singing. He's got the whole world in his hands. And to my surprise, like I said, I thought that AJ and Paige were going to be probably the better match of the Divas that night, and yet it was a good match. But to my surprise, Stephanie McMahon and Brie put on quite the performance. I had heard that uh, Triple H said that Stephanie was training all week. She put her obligations to the WWE aside, her office and paperwork with creative, and she focused on the match and training uh, with Brie, Bella, you know, almost every day. They tried to put the best match possible. And, to, hey, guess what? Hard work pays off because Stephanie, who hasn't been in the ring in over 10 years, actually did a pretty damn good job. She held her own with Brie, Brie who has uh, improved a lot over the years. And I thought Stephanie did a fantastic job. So uh, I was very surprised that that, to me, was actually the better Divas match of the night. Stephanie was great. Uh, she held her own. And, uh, you know, she got the win, of course. So, of course, Triple H was there. There was a big swerve with uh, Nikki. And uh, I really I enjoyed it. You know, I thought, you know, the Divas needed to deliver something. They couldn't just have an okay match. They needed to do something really great to be memorable. You know, AJ and Paige did a, a good job, you know. But uh, Bree and Steph, I thought they did a great job. They continued the feud and the story. And uh, they continued it again on Monday Night Raw. But uh, i got to give props to Stephanie. You know, she did a great job, like I said. Uh, Roman Reigns versus Randy Orton. A lot of rumors were that Roman and Randy sort of had 
you know, kind of an odd outing on house shows. They said the matches maybe weren't all that great. But I thought these guys delivered a, a pretty fun, you know, good, solid wrestling match. A lot of people say Roman Reigns isn't quite there yet. I think this was his time to prove them wrong. And he went up there with a, a guy like Randy Orton, who for the most part is just a natural. He's a third-generation superstar. You know, he may not be a Daniel Bryan or a Dean Malenko or something like that, but he's your, he's your you know, perfect example of the superstar that the WWE loves the, the most. He is a WWE superstar, really. I mean, he's everything that you want in a superstar, the looks. Uh, you know, he's got the GQ looks, the physique, and he, he's got the talent there. He can put on a, a good match, and I thought he did so with Roman Reigns. Uh, they had their moments. You know, Roman did his Superman punch, and he got caught in the RKO, which uh, was just a great moment. Uh, Ram Jordan also does a really nice uh, power slam, and it kind of reminds me of if you ever watch Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe, Joe does this really great sort of quick uh, power slam. It's just very fast. It just happens out of nowhere. And Randy Orton is one of the few other guys who really does a really great scoop power slam. And he did it to Roman Reigns. It looked great. And uh, But not to anyone's surprise, Roman Reigns, who again we think is being pushed to the moon in the WWE, got a, a big victory. And, you know, like I said at the start of the show, Brock and Cena, it wasn't the match that a lot of people wanted. They wanted, you know, a real fight they, you know extreme rules 2012 they wanted that physicality they wanted that back and forth and maybe they didn't get that but what they did get was Brock Lesnar just destroying uh, a 15-time world champion a guy who is Superman in the WWE a guy who the WWE has been promoting as the greatest world champion in their 50-year history and Brock Lesnar just ran over him like he was nothing I mean, that's what that match was all about. It maybe wasn't the prettiest, it maybe wasn't the most violent, but it was Brock Lesnar making a statement that he is the beast and he's the baddest wrestler in pro wrestling today and nobody can touch this guy. And honestly, he's really legit. I mean, he's got the size, he's got the amateur background in wrestling, he's got the MMA background with the UFC. He's a legitimate you know, tough guy, and now he is our WWE champion, and they're making him a badass. They're making him somebody who nobody can get past, and uh, that's exactly what Brock Lesnar should be. So uh, to answer your question, I think, you know, SummerSlam, I think they tried to make it special. They tried to make it big uh, with Lesnar, with Stephanie, you know, the the Lumberjack match I thought was awesome. Uh, You know, I would give it a, a... pretty solid B plus. I think, uh, you know, it was right up there with WrestleMania, one of the, the biggest shows, uh, biggest pay-per-views of the year thus far. You know, some matches, like I said, could have been better, but uh, for the most part, I thought they delivered a, a pretty good show. Okay, I'm being told we have a caller that wants to talk about SummerSlam. Let's go out to New York. We have Stuart from New York. Stuart, you're on. What's going on, Team Jordan, JJ, Blackjack? Stewie, what's uh, going on, man? What's going on? Um, in terms of SummerSlam, in, in my opinion, I, I give it an 8. I thought it was good. Uh, yeah. Actually, not good. I thought it was great. Uh, except the only problem I had was with the pre-show, is oh. why, why would you have RVD versus Cesaro 
on, mm-hmm. on there. That that should have been on the main show. Oh yeah, still I like mean, a no. test match, believe it or not. Yeah, that that should have been on the main show and have and have the Rusev Swagger flag match on the pre-show or or, or have a tag title match. It's a shame the Usos weren't on the card at all. Yeah, and and um, you know since Cena lost, I think this is their only chance to turn him heel. Um, I'm not sure we're going to see a Cena heel turn in a, in a while. I think right now, until they develop their next big star, I know you could point towards Roman Reigns being the next guy. They need somebody to fill Cena's shoes. And right now, with Daniel Bryan out of the picture, they don't really have anyone who's there yet. They have a lot of people being groomed to be the next guy. You could even look at someone like Dean Ambrose. But unfortunately, you know, Dean Ambrose uh, just signed on to a WWE Films a uh, movie called Lockdown. So Dean Ambrose might have been written off on Monday Night Raw. If we all saw the curb stomp that Seth Rollins did on the cinder blocks. I think the WWE is trying to get him more towards uh, filming the movie now. So we're probably going to see a lot less of Ambrose, which is unfortunately because the guy's really hot right now. But uh, well, with him gone, then you look to Roman Reigns. Cesaro's still kind of floating around. RVD uh, is, is pretty much going to be leaving this week. He has, I think, his final match on SmackDown. Chris Jericho will be leaving after Night of Champions. So they really need to build somebody up. So until they build somebody up, I think we're, unfortunately, I guess, we're going to be seeing the same old uh, hustle, loyalty, respect out of John Cena. I don't think they're quite ready yet to turn him. But I wish they would, too. I think it would be great for Cena. It would be refreshing. My only concern is that if they turn Cena heel, he's got to be a legitimate heel who is hated. He can't be a cool heel. He can't be the doctor of thugonomics making people laugh. He's got to be someone who you really despise. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he would look good. If he, if he ever turned heel and joined the Wyatt family, that would be great, but I know that's not happening. So, um, and JJ, since you were speaking about Ambrose, I mean, yeah, you're right. He's the best in the WWE that, that's going right now. And, you know, since what happened last night on Raw, and that's been a while since Raw had a five-star ending match. Um, oh. I'll tell you, it's way better than Cena being on TV. You know, that's what happens when you don't make him the focal point, you know? Yeah. And that, that falls exactly. count anywhere. That, 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 that falls count anywhere. That, that should have been on, on the pay-per-view, you know? That, that would have been great, count anywhere. That was an excellent match, you know, two great matches uh, back-to-back. You know, SummerSlam, the Lumberjack, which I thought stole the show. Monday Night Raw, as you pointed out, Ambrose and Rollins uh, were in the main event of Monday Night Raw. Finally, a really great main event. You know, we've had Cena in the past or Lesnar and Heyman or Stephanie and Bree. Now we got two guys just wrestling, having a kick-ass match, and uh, it was false count anywhere. It was just a lot of fun. Ambrose is as wacky as uh, Jr. would say. He's as wacky as a pet coon. But uh, his promo skills are just out there. He's in his own world, which is just fun and it's different. He's uh, he's just a blast to watch, and his wrestling is just really there. He's definitely one of the best uh, in today's modern era, and you know, he does things uh, you know differently, which is again, anytime you can be different is definitely a bonus. You know, we see him running across the announce tables. He really puts his body on the line, and it was a tremendous main event. And I think the fans are definitely getting behind him more and more each week. And I hope that filming this movie for uh, WWE Studios doesn't uh, set him back any, because I would hate for him to come back 
and then the fans are focused on Roman or they're focused on somebody else. I hope they remember and uh, you know everything that Ambrose has done because he is a, a wild guy, man. A lot of fun to watch. I hope yes. he has a lot of big things in his future. Yes, yeah, it's, it's like uh, between those two guys, just like keep them feuding. It's like in a similar fashion, like HBK and uh, against Triple H. But uh, yeah. that's all I wanted to say. And thank you for your time, guys. All right, great talk. Thank you. Thank you. Great uh, yeah, yeah, some very good points made by uh, Stu. And, uh, Another point that's going to be brought up is that there could be uh, a good possibility that Cena could be on the on the list with Daniel Bryan, man. I mean, uh, he took 16 suplexes. And yeah. uh, don't be surprised if it comes out during the week that uh, he might be out for several months due to yeah. surgery, you know, so... That could be the next thing uh, that could be uh, that Cena could be facing at this point in time. Yeah, he wasn't uh, wrestling at, at at his best, and it threw everyone off. I mean, uh, maybe early on in the match, if you guys watch the match again, there's a very good possibility that uh, Cena got injured. Yeah, I mean. Uh... That's definitely could happen. I mean, those German suplexes, if you saw them at SummerSlam, you know, Lesnar, I mean, Lesnar, as uh, Cena even pointed out, he's a 300-pound gorilla, and, you know, he grabs Cena, who, again, is no cruiserweight by any means. You know, John Cena is a bodybuilder. These guys are big individuals, and he was taking German suplexes in which he's landing on the back of his head. And Lesnar did a lot of rolling German suplexes. He did a lot of throwing German suplexes, and Cena just got folded in half, so it wouldn't surprise me to see Cena be on the shelf, whether it's uh, an injury or taking time off for a surgery. Uh, as we pointed out, he's going to be a part of John, uh, John or Judd Apatow's uh, Trainwreck movie, which comes out July 2015 with Bill Hader and Colin Quinn and uh, Method Man and Mike Berbigula. So Cena's got a full plate right now, so I think I was very disappointed, actually, when I heard that Cena's going to be on Raw next week because I was hoping that after that match on SummerSlam, that would be our last image of Cena. But the WWE said that John Cena will discuss uh, what happened at SummerSlam and his current condition. So maybe next week on Raw we'll hear Cena say that he may need some time off, he may need uh, surgery. So it could be the last time we see John Cena for quite some time. Wow, and then couple that with uh, no Daniel Bryan and no uh, CM Punk, they're gonna they're gonna really be reaching at some talent. But uh, all in all, what did you think of the uh, Raw after SummerSlam? Well, you know, unfortunately for Raw, it was going up against uh, the NFL uh, preseason game, so the ratings kind of got took a hit. It wasn't uh, as high as the WWE would have wanted. But uh, for the most part, you know, we saw, like I said, it's, a, it's definitely a transitional period right now. Things are changing, as you pointed out, with Brian gone, with Punk gone, with Cena possibly being gone. And I just mentioned that Dean Ambrose could now be off filming a movie so he could disappear for a while. The WWE really needs to start building new talent, uh, whether that's someone like a Sheamus, a Dolph Ziggler, a Roman Reigns, a Cesaro. That's something that we are hopefully going to be seeing in the coming weeks. I mean, if you just look at SummerSlam alone, 
a lot of the, the stars who won, uh, Bray Wyatt, Ziggler, Page, Rusev, Rollins, these are all, in uh, Roman Reigns, these are all basically your young, youthful talent. These are the guys who are going to be carrying the company for the next, you know, 10 to, you know, 15 years. So, you know, SummerSlam to me had a very youth movement to it. A lot of the young guys won. So uh, we continued to Raw. Of course, now they're uh, implementing the new uh, WWE logo. They included the new WWE logo on all the championships. They made sure that all the champions were uh, at the show, the tag champions, the Divas champion, the uh, United States champion, the Intercontinental champion. Of course, they made a big ceremony of Brock Lesnar getting the brand-new WWE World Heavyweight Championship. No longer will we see the two titles. No longer will we see the WWE title and the world title. Now it will just be that one single championship. So uh, I enjoyed Raw. Again, like I said, it it maybe wasn't as memorable as uh, some of the other Raws after a major pay-per-view, but... uh, like I said, as a Stu pointed out, that main event was just phenomenal. I even enjoyed the six-man tag, which and was what? actually in Las Vegas, which was the home of Ryback. And boy, did the fans in attendance let you know that it was the hometown of Ryback. I never heard louder Ryback rules, feed me more chance. I mean, the fans were going ballistic for Ryback, and it was just a great event. Anytime the fans can make noise and... What? Yeah, yeah, since it was his hometown, as you pointed out, that's the only way he'll get an ovation, because I'm sure a lot of people were his family that came down to see him, and friends, because, you know, as you said, that's where he lives, Ryback, right? Yeah, I lost it. So from that standpoint, you know, let's just say, for argument's sake, I was ring announcing and it was done in Brooklyn, and you know, and uh, it was an indie show. People in Brooklyn yeah. chant. If I went to if I went to Chicago, people wouldn't care. So it's about home. There's nothing more better than when you you use your hometown to get your heat across. And uh, fortunately for Ryback, who never seems to get a push anymore before the early stages, um, I don't think you'll ever see him get a push. But uh, one person that had a huge push is uh, Chris Jericho through the years. Now, there were a lot of rumors that Triple H and Jericho had some incidents. And... uh, the uh, podcast uh, monster uh, guy uh, will walk us through it, and let's debate it on the other on the other side. Matt from Chicago. During the sound off last week, episode three thirty nine, you alluded to the fact that when Chris Jericho first started with WWE, he had issues getting over because of backstage politics, and specifically, he had issues with Triple H. Can you discuss this in detail? What were the issues between the two of them? What did Triple H say or do to Jericho when he broke into the company? Why exactly did Triple H have problems with Chris Jericho? Jericho touched on it in his second book, told some stories. It was more just razzing and stuff like that. Uh, So, for example, Jericho remembers Triple H telling him when he first came into the company, 
hey, give me a call if you ever need anything, you know, which is a nice thing for him to do. And one day Jericho, who wasn't really familiar with some of the new buildings that WWE ran, you know, they weren't buildings that WCW ran, so one day he got lost. He didn't know where to go. He didn't know how to get to the building. And so Jericho called Triple H to ask him if he had directions to the arena. And Triple H told him, yes, I do. Get a map. And he hung up on him. Uh, you know, there's also the case of WrestleMania 2000. And I don't think Jericho talked about this in his book. And I'm not even sure 100% if this is the story. It is a fact that Jericho was originally supposed to be in that fatal four-way match at WrestleMania 16. It was going to be Rock. Triple H, Jericho, and Big Show. That is a fact. There are pay-per-view posters that were produced that had Jericho's face on them. At some point, plans changed. Okay, the buck stops with Vince McMahon. He made the call. Plans changed. Mick Foley, who had just lost the Hell in a Cell match the month before and considered himself to be legitimately done, he was retired, he got called back, which made him look stupid, and he wasn't even in shape. He really had no business being in that match at WrestleMania. Foley, you know, he did that dive off the top rope and he missed the table. He looked, he looked bad. So Foley ended up taking Jericho's spot. And I had always been under the impression from stories that I had read that Triple H may have had something to do with that. He may have influenced the decision to have Jericho removed from the main event. He's not ready, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that also could have been some involvement that Triple H had with the early part of of Jericho's career. I, I just think Triple H was working hard to get over as a main event guy. Okay, when Jericho came in, it was the summer of 99. That was when Triple H was first getting his first big break. Austin didn't want to lose the title to him, I guess, at SummerSlam, so he lost it to Foley. Foley dropped the belt the next night to Triple H. That was the month, that same month that Jericho debuted, Triple H won his first WWE championship. People still didn't buy him as a main event guy. I still didn't buy him as a main event guy. I didn't buy him as a champion and a main event guy until the Foley feud in early 2000. After that street fight at the Royal Rumble, that made me a believer. And I became a fan of heel Triple H that year. In my opinion, still his best year was the year 2000. But he was working very hard during that time to get over as a main event player. Finally, after all these years, and Triple H went through some political nonsense himself with the whole uh, curtain call incident, and he got punished, and he was supposed to win King of the Ring in 96, and they took it away from him. So he, he had been through some similar stuff himself earlier in his career. And there was also a lot of competition with, with him and The Rock. I'm sure a lot of jealousy there. So there was that. Uh, I don't know Triple H personally. I can't tell you whether he's the jealous type or if or what the deal was. Certainly back then, I'm sure there was a lot of that going on. And so here's Chris Jericho, this guy coming in from WCW, this young guy with all of this fanfare, and it's not a stretch to think that Triple H saw this guy as competition. He saw his spot potentially being threatened. You know, I know when Jericho got programmed with China a few months after he came into the company, and this he does talk about in his book, you know, Triple H in China would go to Vince McMahon and complain that Jericho was hurting her in the ring and Jericho would get chewed out for it. Well, I mean, you put a woman in the ring with a guy, what do you expect? Jericho, he goes into more detail in his book as far as those, those meetings with Vince are concerned. Uh, you wonder how much of that, again, was Triple H prodding her to go to Vince and, and get him into trouble. So that's kind of what happened early on in the game. Now, as far as I know, they're friendly, all is well. 
There was the story, I want to say it was back in 2007, when Jericho first came back to the company. He was gone for two years. Uh, a famous story floating around that there was a house show, and backstage at the house show, Triple H made a comment to the effect of, hey, Chris Jericho is here to save us, like, like save business and all that kind of stuff. So I honestly, I don't know what Triple H really thinks of Chris Jericho. He'll speak complimentary of him now, as he should, because Triple H is the heir apparent to the throne. He's like the boss now in many ways. I mean, Vince is still the boss, but yeah, Triple H is an executive in the company, and he has to negotiate with these guys and work with these guys, and I'm sure he and Chris Jericho have a, a very good relationship now. But you always wonder deep down uh, what they really think about each other. Okay, uh, JJ, you as a Jericho fan, uh, what's your take on Salamonster's uh, opinion about the whole Jericho uh, Triple H situation? Well, I agree. Uh, I definitely think at that point in time when he debuted, you know, Triple H was trying to be a legitimate, you know, top guy. He was trying to be a main eventer. He was trying to be a world champion. And here comes this new guy who, you know, wants to be a world champion as well, someone who didn't get those opportunities in WCW. He came to WWE for those very purposes. And now you've got, you know, Triple H, who's just getting the ball. And, you know, there was all that talk of Austin just not wanting to drop the title to him, so they did it to Foley, and Foley did it to Triple H. And uh, Triple H had a great feud uh, with Foley. The whole McMahon-Helmsley era thing really took off then. He was really hot, and he didn't want to lose any, you know, any steam. And unfortunately, a lot of dirty politics come into play. That's, you know, unfortunately just uh, the nature of the business. These things happen. A lot of guys want to hold on to their spots. They don't want necessarily the new guy coming in and taking it for them and, you know, taking that money that comes with the top spot. But, uh, you know, and right now in today's world, of course, uh, things are much different now where Triple H is all about the business and he puts the business first. And, you know, now he's running his own little NXT program where he has a lot of control. He, you know, will one, maybe one day inherit PWE from Vince, you know, because he is, you know, married to Stephanie. So, I mean, this could all very well be his empire one day. I mean, he's already has a lot of this, uh, decisions being making now. I hear lots of times that him and uh, Vince are clashing. They both have their own sort of ideals of where they want to see the company go and the matches that they want to have, uh, let's say, like at WrestleMania 30. You know, maybe Vince wants Brock Lesnar against The Rock, but, you know, The Rock is busy. He's doing movies. He just signed on to the, the Journey movies for Disney. You know, Triple H might want you know, the future of the WWE, someone like a Roman Reigns to go up against Lesnar. Well, meanwhile, the fans might want Daniel Bryan to go against uh, Brock Lesnar. So, and it's hard to say. I mean, anything can happen between now and then. But, uh, you know, the Triple H of today and the Jericho of today, I'm sure, you know, it's all water under the bridge. But uh, it doesn't surprise me at all back then you know, in 99 to 2000, where, you know, Triple H was, you know, feeling things out and trying to get in Vince's ear and saying, you know, I don't think this guy's ready yet. I've been in the ring with him, you know, and I, it doesn't surprise me at all. That's just, unfortunately, like I said, it's part of the business. Part of the business It's how guys stay on top. But uh, unfortunately, you know, you need to let the, the new guys come up, and that's something that we're seeing now where here you have John Cena who's on top for the past 10 years, what other superstars on top right now? 
nobody. They got nobody else to fall back on. Punk's gone. Brian's hurt. You know, they have nobody else to take John Cena's place. That's the problem when you don't make new stars. And uh, thank God things happened the way they did. Eventually, Jericho got his shot. He became the first ever undisputed champion, which would he have ever become the first ever undisputed champion if Triple H didn't tear his quadricep? The only reason why I think Jericho was even in that position was because Triple H was out hurt. If Triple H was healthy, he probably would have been in that match, and it would have been Triple H as the first ever undisputed champion. So, you know, lots of things. uh, It's funny how the way things work out, but I think uh, at the end of the day, everything worked out okay. And like I said, the relationship between Jericho and Triple H today is really all that matters. You know, what happened then, it's in the past, and it's going to stay in the past. It doesn't mean that uh, you forget about it. I'm sure Jericho remembers those uh, instances and being chewed out by Vince very well like it was yesterday. But uh, this is just a part of the business, unfortunately. You know, it happens. And Jericho, uh, he was in the three-way in 2002's WrestleMania, the same one with Hogan and Rock. Uh, who was in that three-way? Do you remember? Was that Triple H one? Yeah, I believe it was Jericho and uh, maybe Kurt Angle and possibly Chris Benoit. I think Kurt the uh, Angle was that night, I well, believe. I was... But there was a three-way after the Hogan-Rock match, and I remember the fans got bored because they oh, just the had Hogan one of the most... Yeah, yeah, that was, of course, was Jericho after... Triple H. Jericho and Triple H for the undisputed title. That's what it was. In any event, they put that last, which yeah. it should have been Hogan was last because, you know, yeah. quite frankly, it seemed, didn't, they didn't seem to be into a title match at all because they just witnessed Hogan versus Rock, I mean, one for the ages, and then they put that on last. And even uh, uh, I heard reports that Jericho and uh, Triple H didn't want to be last because they knew uh, what kind of heat that um, the Hogan match would cause and turned out. Because when you think of WrestleMania 18, you do not yeah. in any way, shape, or form think of Jericho winning the title uh, at all. You think of Hogan and you think of Rock. Just yeah. like WrestleMania 6, you think of Hogan and Warrior. And uh, that's that's going to be the, the case. That was a big mistake. You know, even if it's not the so-called main event, the best match should always be last at a WrestleMania. You know, well, even if it's uh, not a the title. A lot of people argue about that. Uh, I actually agree with you. Unfortunately, you know, at that time, Triple H had won the Royal Rumble. He just returned, and the winner of the Royal Rumble would always main event WrestleMania and they felt that Triple H earned it because of his torn quadricep, which they thought was a career ender, and he came back uh, strong, and he won the undisputed title from Jericho. But at the same time, like you said, you have two megastars like Hulk Hogan and The Rock, and, uh, I mean, the fans were just dead. They were exhausted by the time that Jericho and Triple H came on. Nobody, uh, like you said, remembers that match. And uh, it's unfortunate because it wasn't a bad match. It's just the fact that the fans were exhausted. They just saw two of the, the biggest icons of wrestling's past and present just go out 
in a very memorable match. Uh, it wasn't maybe a great technical match, but it was just a huge moment to see Rock, Austin, two different eras in the ring at the same time. I mean, yeah, how could you follow that? And uh, that's something that it's, uh, it's unfortunate because, you know, it, uh, there was nothing wrong with Jericho and Triple H's match. And if you watched it alone, you know, it's just a good, solid match. Right. And it was a great moment. Triple H holding both titles. Uh, he just, like I said, came back from the torn quadricep. But like I said, nobody remembers that match. Nobody remembers that moment. Everybody remembers Rock Hogan because it was two of the biggest icons of all time in the ring, and it was just a moment that you'll never forget. Uh, no question. What do you think, Blavchek? you agree? Most heartily, definitely. All right. You know, Eric Bischoff recently spoke to Stone Cold Steve Austin about actually how Austin was fired. Uh, I found the clip, and let's take a listen. Steve Austin being talking about with Eric Bischoff, the same man who fired him from WCW, going over the timeline of uh, when Stone Cold was fired. Let's take a listen. Okay, 96. Uh, I was just going to WWF, so that means I got fired. I remember it was the third week, uh, it was a three-week tour of Japan. Uh, myself, Arn Anderson, Ron Simmons, uh, Chris Benoit, uh, Dean Malenko. I think Eddie Guerrero was on that trip. A lot of American guys. We had a. It was a. It was a great trip, but a three-week tour of Japan. It's a three-week tour of Japan. Uh, <laughs> me, me and Arn drank a lot of beer. On the third night, I jumped off uh, on a Japanese wrestler. He moved. I tore my tricep off my right elbow. I wrestled for two and a half weeks like that because that's what you did. And, again, going back, to, uh, you know, I did have some uh, nagging knee injuries back in the day, and it was all a shoot. Never worked an injury, but I did have some knee issues. So anyway, I was about damn near three-quarters through the healing process, and I read your book. And it's funny because uh, y'all wanted me to appear at a TV taping and just cut a promo. Mm-hmm. Had a bad wing. And I think I had volunteered to come down and do something at, at something prior to that, and someone said, oh, don't worry about it, whatever. So I think that, would, that had kind of gotten up my crawl a little bit. But on the phone call, you said that, uh, you know, that, who was it, Tony Schiavone called the house or somebody called the house? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give you my perspective yeah. if, you, if it's okay with no, you. No, no, go ahead. So what I remember, and this is what I think what your listeners are, are anxious to hear, is we're at center stage. I was hoping you were going to stay on the roster. There were issues, but I was never too tough on, on physical injuries and issues. We'd get around him. But it was like, okay, we've got to get Steve on TV. We've got to keep the character alive. We can't, can't put him in a match, can't do this, can't do that, but we can shoot, a, shoot an interview so at least the character's still alive. And thought we had everything laid out. Now, I knew at the time WCW was kind of a clusterfuck, and it could have easily been miscommunicated. I, and I, to this day, I believe I knew that then, and I'm sure I knew it now. But we said, okay, Steve's not here. Shivani, because yeah. he was a producer. Get Steve here. Shivani came back to me said, eh. Called. Wife answered. I could hear him in the background. He ain't coming. Huh. Well, that's kind of bullshit. Yeah. So I, being me, <laughs> I I took the attitude I took and made the decision I made. Right, wrong, good, bad. No, had I had I been in your shoes and Eric Bischoff would have been healing up from a tricep injury and I would have heard him say, "Tell the some bitches I ain't home" in the background, and that, that probably is true. I don't, I, but I can't remember, but, I, but it probably mm-hmm. is. 
But I'd, I'd have come to the same conclusion. But also, you know, and looking at the, uh, you know, God, man, when, when I look back now, uh, I was able to achieve a lot at Stone Cold Steve Austin. As Stunning Steve, you know, man, I was a hell of a mechanic in the ring. I think I had the respect of my peers and the guys that, that uh, I was out there on the road with. And, hell, I remember one time before, you know, my WCW days, riding down to a town in Tennessee with Dr. Tom Pritchard and, uh, God dang, it was, I guess, Brian Lee, primetime Brian Lee. And Tom Pritchard looked at me and he goes, Steve, he goes, uh, he goes, what's so stunning about stunning Steve? And I was like, I couldn't answer. I didn't know. You know, I was busy trying to learn the mechanics of what goes on in a ring. I hadn't thought about what makes stunning uh, Steve stunning. And neither did uh, Brian Lee have any uh, idea why he was primetime Brian Lee other than it sounded like a pretty cool name. So when I, when I look back, uh, you know, and when I first came in and able to take the, the world television title off Bobby Eaton, one of my favorites of all time, uh, man, it was, it was a tremendous honor. And I was a pretty good hand in the ring. But, man, when you, when you couple, when, when you look at what I what, what I'd, uh, I'd turned into, I was losing my hair, had the goofy gimmick haircuts, had had some injuries, and had that phone call gone down like that, and it most likely did. I, like I said, there's many parts before we rolled the recorder, as I told you, straight up. There's a lot of my parts of my career that I forgot. But had I been in your shoes and saw what I seen, now had I seen a guy that just had all the makings of superstar, superstar, superstar flashing on him, I might have saved that guy. But given the the task at hand and the situation that was, I'd have done the same damn thing you did. So and and you know at the time I was mad and you know for 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 a long time I mean that was some of the fuel that fed my fire when I went to ECW mm-hmm. and cut some of the promos that I did it was just pure out of pure frustration not with the situation that happened but also the situation that I let myself you know get into and uh, uh, being uh, um, anyway but but see let me let me interrupt you right there yeah and it's easy for us now to have a beer yeah. and and and, and go back and look at things from our different perspectives. But this is where, you know, when I before I got here, I asked, you know, my Twitter followers, I only got 150,000 of them, you've got 2.3 million. But I asked them, what do you want me to ask Steve Austin? So based on everything you're telling me right now, when, when did you know, when did you feel, not know, when did you feel in your head that Stone Cold Steve Austin, the character, was beginning to emerge? Was it immediately after that? Was it months, a year? How did that happen? Ah uh, man, it was it was uh well literally it was probably I didn't know at the time but when Paul Lee calls me I guess I'd been fired for about a week and the phone rings and Paul Lee calls me he goes hey man uh want to uh, offer you a job come to work at ECW I said shit Paul I can't work I said my arm's busted he goes you ain't got to work cut promos so I said okay you know I started flying up there you know once a week I'd go to Philly and uh, we filmed some promos in the bottom of the uh. Uh, whether it's the ECW arena or there in the hotel, you know, early in the uh, mid-hours of the morning. All the guys been partying, drinking, doing their thing. And at least I was able to start venting some of the uh, some of the, the frustration that I had felt. And, you know, uh, a part of it was, uh, you know, uh, 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 that I'd let myself, you know, become used to the situation at hand. And a lot of the nagging injuries, uh, you know, finally started healing up. But I guess... That was where Paul Lee was able to take me and give me a little bit of a focus or an identity, and who I am as a, as, a, as an athlete. Who, what I always consider myself. I live out here in Los Angeles, California. I do some acting. I prefer reality television, but I'm not an actor. Mm-hmm. I'm an athlete. I'm a pro wrestler. I always was. Always will be. So 
finally in a competitive environment, you know, I was given, you know, that opportunity to shine. And, man, I, you know, man, I'll chop somebody's head off to, you know, to kick and claw and scratch to get to the top. And I was given that freedom there in ECW. So I was venting, and, and you were a natural target. And, uh, you know, I, I took a, a few shots at Hogan, who was never, you know, seemingly the target. I, when he was brought in, I signed a different contract because, you know, everybody thought their pay-per-view, you know, money was going to go up. I got a flat fee because I didn't see it happening. Uh, and, again, as I say this, uh, I talked with Hulk on the uh, WrestleMania 30 there in New Orleans. I had a great short conversation with him because I would always think that there was heat between myself and Hulk Hogan. And two very competitive individuals in mm-hmm. the environment, you're not going to give each other too many props because that's just not what you do. But when you take a, chance, when you take a step back and you get out of it, you know, there's never any heat with, my, with myself and Hogan. I was even, – even when I was uh, – not a nobody, but hardly anybody in WCW, I was competing with that guy. Sure. You know, I wanted to be the best. And finally, as Stone Cold Steve Austin, the run that I had was uh, not that long, but very intense and white hot. The run that Hogan had lasted over 30 years, probably the best in the history of the business with worldwide uh, you know, name recognition. Had a good chance to talk to him. Uh, but So I was very competitive with that guy and, and protective of my own legacy. But I guess the genesis was, you know, ECW and, and, you know, getting honed with Paul Lee and Mm -hmm. being able to direct some focus and thinking, okay, as as a person, as an athlete on the field uh, in in, in the game of football, I had that killer instinct. You know, I'm going to go for broke. I'm going to give you everything I got. And finally, I was able to do that. And I think finally I started getting that direction. And then when they started censoring my interviews, when we started going live every other week, because we needed to save money, so we'd film that one episode and put it in the can. And when I watched that episode back, I knew of Money Not Raw. That's when they started chopping my lines out. And uh, as we were walking to TV one day in Lowell, Massachusetts, somewhere like that, and I saw Vince walking down the uh, towards the building and didn't hardly know Vince at the time. Been in the company about a year, year and a half. And I said, hey, Vince, you got a second? And he said, yes, Steve, I do. I said, hey, man, i got a question for you. I said, I notice that when I'm cutting my promos, you guys are editing out a lot of stuff I say. I said, why is that? He goes, well, quite frankly, Steve, <laughs> you're popping a lot of guys in the truck. Well, hell, you know as well as I do, Eric, you pop a guy in the truck who have seen and heard everything. You could pop anybody. So I told Vince right then, I said, Vince, I'll tell you what. I said, you got guys here 6'10", 7 feet, 300, 330 pounds. I said, I'm 6'2", 250, black boots, black trunks, bald head and a goatee. I said, if you give me my personality, I said, I can compete with anybody you got. But if you take it from me, I said, I can't compete. He goes, all right, Steve. So that's when he started uncensoring my promos. So that's when I think, you know, the... the it's interesting now when you... I mean, you and I, do you remember when uh, you and I worked together in WWE? God damn, and, that was a blast. And it was. It's one of the highlights of my career, actually. Cause it, and I was thinking... I was the, still... Go ahead, go ahead. Continue. I was thinking on the way here. I said, you know, last time I physically laid eyes on Steve, it was right after the match we had in Montreal where he was just stomping the piss out of me. But professional. <laughs> but professionally. Yeah. And I loved that match. And I loved it for... Not because of my performance, because I didn't really do anything. But, nor was I capable of it. But the fact that you and I overcame all of this crap yeah. and gave the audience what they wanted to see and had a level of trust, even though there was no reason to, yeah. other than the fact that we probably are more alike than we are different, was a, was a, big, was a big deal for me. And I thought, well, that was the last time I saw him. But 
we talked in Texas because Bruce Pritchard and I were down there, and I was doing this storyline, which which was basically you know I, I, there was one idea that I threw at Vince that he liked, and you pulled me aside, which was the very first time you and I you yeah. and I had laid eyes on each other since you know we split up. It sounds weird, but since yeah. you got fired, <laughs> but in a professional way, professionally speaking, but. You pulled me aside, and you know we talked about that. It was so freaking cool. That was a big moment for me. Just so you know. Yeah, well, you know, but then on this, by the same token, had I, you know, by the time I had everything to, you know, to digest and and be what it was, again, like I said, looking back, looking at all I saw back in the day was an athlete in the ring, not a great gimmick, losing his hairline, just I didn't see superstar. When I look back, and I'm Stone Cold Steve Austin, when I look back and see that guy, I'm thinking good mechanic. That's it. So, but it tastes that magic, and you know it now. Yeah. It's easy for you now to yeah. look back at your character and see how it became that character. But that's the part where, you know, people ask me, and I'm sure they ask you all the time, you know, what is the next big star? Who's, why can't he just make another big star? Dude, first of all, if it was easy, you and I would be doing it. We'd be throwing yeah. coconuts at each other on a yeah. beach somewhere in Maui. It's not easy. It's hard. It's not easy, but also, you know, I asked, uh, sent on my Twitter account, you're E. Bischoff on Twitter. I'm Steve Austin BSR. And I said, hey, man, if you guys got questions, and you said the same thing, send them in and we'll answer them for you. And then a lot of I keep getting the same old things, and you do too. And it's how do you feel firing uh, the biggest superstar in history of professional wrestling or one of the biggest superstars in the history of professional wrestling? Hey, at the time, you know, who would have thunk it? <laughs> who would have fucking knew? Because I damn sure didn't either. You know, I knew I was hungry. I wanted to be that. But, man, looking at, at what I was presenting, and we're going to get off this subject, but looking at what the, what the product was in the ring, looking at the circumstances, the way they were happening, looking at my history of injuries, I'd have done the same damn thing. So I respected your decision. You know, now that it's over, I respect your decision. I can see why. And we both know now that it was the best thing that best ever for happened everybody. to me. What an amazing interview, JJ. What is your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, wow, it's amazing how, like, a misunderstanding can really create this bad blood or there can be something that's not really there. And to hear them talk about what happened with Bischoff and calling him and knowing the injuries that he had at the time and that they were just kind of going to work with him. And, you know, Austin kind of just, you know, just didn't want to be bothered. So then, of course, the next action was, well, if we can't work with the guy, he's hurt. There's nothing more we can really do with him. He's not really going anywhere. So, you know, he called him up and he let him go over to the phone, and that was the best thing that they ever did. Did they know that stunning Steve Austin would go on to have some of the biggest uh, pay-per-view buy rates of all time? Uh, you know, they never would have. They would never would have let him go if they known what he was capable of. I mean, he was just stunning. If he didn't have a, a whole lot going for him at that particular time, I mean, a lot of fans respected his in-ring abilities, but nobody saw the star power that Stunning Steve had. Now, you send Stunning Steve to ECW, and Paul Heyman gives him absolute freedom to just, you know, be who he wants to be and just to let out all of his anger and frustration. And he used some of that against Bischoff. He used some of that against Hogan. And he created, you know, we really saw the attitude and we started to see, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin being built 
he didn't have the name Stone Cold Steve Austin. He wasn't branded as Stone Cold Steve Austin, but you could see at that point in time in ECW, those were the you know the the building blocks to making Stone Cold Steve Austin. And it wasn't until he came to the WWE and we heard him even say that you know Vince and the guys uh, in the trucks were editing out his promos, and he's saying you know I can't be you know, me, unless you give me the opportunity to be a character and to say what I want to say. I mean, if you take away what I say, then how is anyone going to take me serious? You know, you've got guys like The Undertaker and Kane and so on and so forth, Sid Vicious, guys who are big men, you know, tall, guys who are almost seven feet tall, guys who are, you know, 300-some-odd pounds. And, you know, Steve mentioned he's, what, 6'2", he's, you know, 200-some pounds. I mean, on that regard, it's hard for them to be – you know, the next Hogan or the next, you know, Warrior or the next Savage if he doesn't have that built or physique. I mean, we all know he loves, you know, the big physique guys. So he says he had his attitude. He had that stone-cold persona, and he was able to deliver it. And, you know, little by little he added new things, and he did the speech at the King of the Ring, the Austin 316, and little things like that made him one of the most must-see uh, figures, one of the most polarizing figures that professional wrestling ever saw. And, of course, with the Attitude Era, I mean, it was just uh, remarkable. They saw ratings that they never saw before. It got mainstream attention. Casual wrestling fans were tuning in. People who weren't even wrestling fans were uh, tuning in just because they could relate to Stone Cold Steve Austin, who was battling his boss. I mean, who can't relate to that? And who, who doesn't want to smack their boss around, you know? So, I mean, so many things happened, and it all really started because of Bischoff, you know, firing Austin over the phone. If that never would have happened, and if he would have remained stunning Steve, I mean, he probably would have had a good career. He probably would have had some great matches down the line against a lot of the uh, stars in WCW, but would he have ever become you know, the mega blockbuster star power Stone Cold Steve Austin that we know today, you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, I can't say for sure, but uh, because of all those little events that happened that took place, and it's nice to know that they were able to bury the hatchet and that they were able to work together and trust each other in the ring. Uh, I I remember the co-general manager thing very well on Monday Night Raw with Bischoff and Austin. They were a lot of fun to watch together, the way Austin would always get on, you know, Bischoff's nerves. And it was very comedic at times. And, uh, you know, anytime you put them in the ring and you had Austin just beating the hell out of Bischoff, you loved it because you, you heard those stories of Bischoff firing Austin. And you, you wanted to see Austin just beat the hell out of Bischoff. And, you know, we got that. And it's cool to hear them just kind of laugh about it and joke around and uh, like it's nothing. And, it's pretty cool when guys like that can can eventually come together, bury the hatchet, and just, you know, do good business together. And uh, now they can talk and, you know, laugh about it. So that's definitely one of the uh, good sides that happen uh, in professional wrestling. We talked before with Triple H and Dirty Politics, but uh, every now and then something cool will happen, and, you know, history can be made, and uh, it could be for the best. It's best for business. So, uh, Austin and Bischoff, uh, they had one bad moment, but it created something that uh, is a historical moment in professional wrestling, and it was best for business. I uh, totally agree with you. And uh, Blackjack, it was interesting uh, to hear that and uh, hear his take on uh, with Hogan. 
What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, time settles, the dust settles with these negotiations. Uh, Eric Bischoff is definitely, uh, he's a great guy. One of the greatest guys I've ever met. Stone Cold, the same same here. Um, they're both um, really, um, let's say like Bischoff. He was in a situation, uh, it was Definitely wasn't rough for him, but you know, I, I got to know him, and he really, um, he, he, just so many different people that he had to deal with, you know, as and trying to stay on top and working with the Turner people, and yeah. it, it wasn't the easiest thing, you know. But oh. um, uh, he was for what he did, I thought was pretty good, and. Um, some wrestlers uh, say yes and some wrestlers say no. You know, when you're the head of something like that, you know, you you, you get the enemies as well. And then as time goes on, they become one of your best friends and they understand the decision that he had to make. And he had to make decisions that wasn't so popular, but still he overcame them, those things and I look for Eric Bischoff to come again ahead of another organization in the wrestling world once again. Uh, yeah. yeah, Eric Bischoff, 84 weeks in a row, beat Nitro, happy Raw, and uh, I'll tell you, it was great that that era of Raw vs. Nitro. And then and you got to was, get a chance to relive all that stuff, I guess, through the network and all that stuff. This doesn't uh, go away. It's unbelievable. You can relive the NWO days and uh, other days with WCW and uh, other wrestling organizations, you know. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, uh, Jim Ross on his show recently had Sting. Uh, I'll play a little fraction of that, and we'll talk about it on the other side. I've been looking Jim forward to this show for a long time because the one thing about the podcast is that uh, it allows you to reconnect with uh, some of your old buddies. And, uh, you know, you look through your contacts on your phone, I whatever, and uh, or your Rolodex, no, and I don't have a Rolodex. I'm making that up. I don't have a Rolodex. I have a contact list. I am uh, here this week to talk to an old friend that I've known since 1987. But I bet you after I left WCW, we, we only talked once or twice, and once was on an airplane, so that we weren't even knowing we were going to be on. So I'm uh, going to catch up tonight with Steve Borden, a.k.a. Sting, so, uh, if you don't mind, I'd love to call you Steve and not Sting, but I will call you whatever you choose. No, Steve is perfect. I can be great, Rossi. How are you, buddy? Are you feeling good? I'm feeling great, yeah. I'm glad glad to be here, too. Glad to be a part of your podcast. Oh, thank you, man. Thank people have been... This is, this is going to be a big show because uh, you have a worldwide fan base. And when I, I was in L.A. a few days ago. Had a chance to do a little couple of days worth of work for a movie, and uh, I got to play an evil boss, 
And I, and I drew on all the bosses I've had in the wrestling career, and I put a little, I put a little bit of all of them in this role. I think it's, I think when people see it, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna pick out little things, and they're gonna laugh their ass off. But that's <laughs> that's me, you know. So, uh, but I was thinking and talking to a guy. I said, God, you know, Sting's name identity is uh, really amazing. So smart people are gonna take advantage of his availability and his look and his presentation and find something for him to endorse or do be a, do voice or you know be seen doing commercials there's too many colorful things you could do with all your different looks yeah no i, I mean so many characters over the years i mean yeah it it was sting you know every single year obviously but i mean you know evolve. you kind of change you kind of, yeah you evolve you change with the times and you know, a couple times here and there, changing your character was pretty risky to do. But you know, I, I'm glad that I did it. Each one was a great experience, and yeah. you know, I was just signing autographs on Chicago last week. And you know, fans, wrestling fans, are always so good at those types of events. They're they're so respectful and they remember so much. And it's always interesting to hear what they have to say about you know the different generations of Sting and which ones that they like the best and all that. Yeah. It was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I, I had a lot of fun doing the Joker, <laughs> Joker Sting, and uh, of course Crow Sting. You know, they were all they were all great. I, I love doing them all. We're going to talk about them too here in this uh, phenomenal episode that uh, you fans are keeping uh, in the iTunes top ten, and uh, we appreciate that. So, were you a fan as a kid? Is this what you wanted to always be, or did you, did you kind of back into the business? You know, the funny funny thing is, you know, when I got into this business, I I didn't know anything about pro wrestling because the area of Southern California where I grew up, we didn't have pro wrestling on TV. Wow. So so when I wow. when I when I co-owned my uh, Gold's Gym Health Club along with Ed Connors, he was the treasurer of Gold's Gym in Venice Beach and. And I was doing a bodybuilding thing and all that, and Ed, Ed, um, uh, you know, wanted to be a partner with me in, in a club, and so we ended up, you know, joining forces. And and this big guy used to come in and and work out, and the gym would freak out and and say, "Oh man, don't you know who that is?" And I didn't have any idea who it was, and and it was Hulk Hogan, oh. and. Um, it's amazing, you know, they said, the guy from the Rocky movie, you know, so the Rocky movie, okay, I know that guy, but I don't know anything about pro wrestling. I mean, I all the way through high school, you know, into the college years and all that, I never, never watched wrestling, didn't even know what it was. So it, it, it's amazing to me that I ended up where I did. Well, so, but you weren't wrestling's enemy. You just didn't have any feelings for it one way or the other. Well, yeah, because it was an unknown to me. I mean, I think I, you know, I maybe heard the name Hulk Hogan, but didn't know for sure who or what he was. And I think I heard the name Ric Flair maybe all, you know, all those years ago, and didn't, didn't thought, you know, I don't know who he is either. And but it was only because I didn't have access to it. Yeah, man, what a life! Did you date God? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was normal in every other way. All right, all right. Well, we'll move on. Uh, so you guys get trained. Now I am under the impression that my old dear friend Red Bastine was involved in that training, part of that process. Was he? 
Yes, absolutely. Um, Red had a camp in uh, Northridge, California, which is right, you know, in the, in the area where my health club was, just just ten minutes down the road. Um, and yeah, he uh, he had this camp. It was about a it was an eight or twelve week camp. I can't even remember now, but um, we we needed that, and you know, it, it, it happened that you know Rick, a guy named Rick Bassman, came in the club and we're trying to break into pro wrestling with you know, three other wrestlers looking for a fourth guy and uh, after lots of, you know, waiting and with no responses, he finally asked me to do it. And, and I didn't, you know, I wasn't interested. I, you know, I was um, bartending, bouncing in the nightclubs. I was trying to get, uh, you know, I was trying to, I was doing competitive bodybuilding and I was trying to make it out there in Hollywood and, and do movies and commercials and all that kind of stuff. And so I thought, well, let me just go check it out. And we went out to see, uh, a match at the sports arena in LA, Hogan, Andre the Giant, the British Bulldogs, Sheik, uh, Adrian Adonis. I mean, it was, it was, everybody was there. Big John Studd and, you know, pandemonium. It was crazy. And so I, I thought, wow, you know, I think I want to try this. And so, you know, we finished out that camp and, um, and Red Bastine headed the whole thing up and he taught us, I think he did a good job of teaching us, you know, in those days. Yeah. I mean, so. Red's a good guy. Hey, uh, they, everybody says this, and you, and you inferred it moments ago. You were in the audience, the crowd's into it, all the big stars are there, they're doing their thing, and you get caught up a little bit in the emotion of that adrenaline pop, that little, the little, the, the, you know, the little chill bumps. You get caught up in the moment at the live event that you attended. And all the boys say that when they leave it, that's what they miss most is that adrenaline rush. Those are those times when the adrenaline is just the most amazing uh, cure-all that there is. Yeah, it's something that you you can never, you could never really truly describe. You know, you'd have to actually live through it, but it's it's true. I mean. And anyone who says it doesn't really matter, they're they're just lying. That's like hey, <laughs> because, I, yeah. my guy at uh, Podcast One, he says to me that uh, when people say it's not about the money, it's about the money. And I got to thinking about that. And uh, the business of negotiations, which I've been involved in in my professional lifetime, and I'm still involved because I'm doing things on my own now, negotiations are is a unique uh, entity. So if you always remember this one thing that if it's not about the money, it's about the money. <laughs> Pretty damn simple, man, right? I can't, uh, you know, I can't disagree with you. I mean, it really, I mean, uh, the one part of the story that I did leave out is when I is when I saw the pandemonium. Of course, again, I'm trying to make it in in the acting world. I'm I'm trying. I'm auditioning for commercials and. Uh, competitive bodybuilding, and I'm watching Arnold Schwarzenegger make all of his movies, and I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe I can do that too. And so I'm I'm looking for an avenue, and then when I go to the sports arena, and I see pandemonium and you know all the craziness, you know, I, I went, wow, you know, there's there's money to be made out there. I mean, so I, I, yeah, I'm I'm not gonna lie to you, yeah. I mean, I, I thought about the money, a, a lot about the money in the beginning. That's not all it was, though. I mean. There definitely was a, a love for the business and the actual in-ring, like we're talking about the rush of the crowd and, you know, the camaraderie with the boys on the road and all that sure. stuff. Sure. So. Well, you had to learn that. 
you had to acquire that as time went on. But when you're sitting in that arena in L.A. and you're watching all these people go crazy, and you're watching these guys do their their their, their, their some very unique uh, form of entertainment, uh, I've got to believe that you know your young guy. Hey, why not me? And I think there that people uh, that are listening should always say when they want to do something. And then they are automatically, their subconscious says, hey, forget it. That'll never happen. It's not going to happen. You, know, you, need to, you need to kind of assert yourself and say, why not me? So right. that's what Steve right. did. He, why not me? Hell, I'm a, I'm, I might be good at this. So, uh, yeah, okay. right. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I, I, wasn't, I didn't have an amateur wrestling background. I wasn't a, a football player to, you know, in Oklahoma or some great college somewhere. I didn't play in the NFL. All right. No, no gold medals. You know, very, very basic. <laughs> you know, high school education, two years of junior college, and and you know, just just going nowhere. I just chose not to be academic all, all those years. I regret it now, but I mean, I was going nowhere. I mean, I was an athlete, you know, and I, I loved all sports, but you know, I didn't excel at, at a high level in yeah. any of them. So I'd be the, I'd definitely be the guy that you'd say, yeah, well, why not me? You know, I mean, um, well, I, I would, I would be the guy that would say, you know, I can't do this. I'm never going to do it. But, you know, instead I was, I thought, why not me? You know, I mean, I was looking going, I think I can do that. You know? Absolutely. Hey, I, I agree. I agree. I don't, the, I don't want to, people should not allow others to uh, limit uh, what may uh, be able to be accomplished. In other words, I don't want somebody else telling me that I won't be successful at Project A, B, or C. If you get to the point in your life where you don't have to be uh, defined by others' perceptions, I think you should consider yourself very fortunate. That's a good life. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So... uh, Anyway, you you guys get booked finally. You send your tapes out, all the stuff, all the all the territories gets a tape. We used to get tons of. Everybody got them. Picture eight by tens, uh, in gimmick, whatever, and all the tape, you know, highlights. You get hired by Continental Wrestling. Uh, that's Jerry Jarrett's outfit, right? Continental. Uh, it was I believe Mid Southern Wrestling. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the banner. Was Jarrett the boss? Yeah, Jerry was, yeah. So your first job in a wrestling territory was working for Jerry Jarrett. Yeah, we we sent a press kit out, and, you know, there were four of us in the original group that went through the camp. About eight guys went through the camp, but four of us, were we were all together going to try to break in as a, as a, a group of four guys. And uh, we sent out those press kits when the camp w- was over and Red Bastine was leaving the country, and so we, you know, we needed to go to work. And so we sent these things out. Jerry Jarrett, within three days, responded and called us. And, and by then, two of the other guys just kind of, uh, to this day, I really don't know what happened with them. They, they just kind of disappeared, you know. They're living and, in uh, part. I know where they yeah, are. I know where they but, are. But, I know where, but, I know. But, Jerry, but Jerry said, you know, hey, I only want two of the four. Right. And he looked at the picture, and he said, I want the two guys to the far left. I want that the was two, Jim, yeah, Jim Helwig and me. I want, so. I want those two jacked-up guys, and, uh, you know, that's what I want is I want those, yeah. two, I want those two jacked-up guys right there. And 
Hey, look, uh, it was a. You guys were very, uh, a very impressive on an eight by ten. I'd have gone there. I, I, Jerry Jarrett was throwing the money. You know, I, I, I think you made a good call. I think those other two guys that you referred to, I think they live. Yeah. I let they live now in parts unknown. So uh, they're in, obsc- in obscurity, by the way. Hey, you know that you know you're trained by Red Bastine, who's one of the great guys with great characters. Two quick stories about Red Bastine. I'll tell you because I think you'll appreciate them because he trained you, and you may know them. If you do, you can stop me. No, don't stop me because it will embarrass me. This is my podcast. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, one of them was he was Bill Watts' tag team partner. And uh, you know they're driven and they're tired and they got they they're going on la- late tag matches. Cowboy and uh, Red as tag partners, and I think they were working with Maurice Vachon and and I can't remember who the other wrestler was. Maybe it'll come to me. So they're having a two out of three fall tag team match, and they've they've driven. They were up late the night before, uh, as you can imagine, and uh, then they drive all these hours, and so they're tired. Red actually falls asleep on the apron uh, while he's waiting on Bill, while, while his partner's selling. And Red took a bump off the apron to the floor when it wasn't called for. Which screwed with the, everybody had almost in a match stopped because uh, Red took a big-ass bump off the apron because he fell asleep during the match <laughs> with, a, with, a, with an arena full of people. He, he had you, oh, oh, yeah. only in pro wrestling. Yeah, hey, here, here's the deal. Envision this now. Just close your eyes, folks. Envision with me. Work, work with me here. You close your eyes. There's the arena. See at the ring. Bills and cowboys in there selling. Let's say that the Maurice has got cowboy in a headlock and he's punishing Bill. Red has is upright on the apron, has his arm on the top top rope, and has his head. On his arm, so his arm is like a little pillow. He gets kind of comfortable, and then he he his legs leave him. He he goes to sleep, and he takes this big ass bump that nobody. And the fan says, "Well, he didn't get he, he didn't get hit." You know, yeah. no, no one. Yeah. Oh man. Our big yeah. our, our baby face. Our big baby face. Just. Unexplicably, yeah, has taken a what? huge bump from the apron, and, yep. no, and nobody. Well, JJ uh, Sting and Jim Ross going over the old days. Your uh, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I actually heard Sting talk about some of this. Uh, if you watch, like I said, the 2K15 uh, video game panel that they had uh, during SummerSlam. And they had, uh, like I said, Renee Young and Stone Cold Steve Austin were the hosts. And on the panel, they had uh, Sheamus, Cesaro, Roman Reigns, John Cena, Hulk Hogan, of course, making another WWE appearance, none other than the man they call Sting. And Sting was there, and he was answering questions. And he did talk about uh, mentioning that when he first kind of came across wrestling, he didn't really know much about it. And he uh, saw Hulk Hogan in uh, his gym, and he thought, well, you know, maybe, you know, I could do that. And he went to a show, and he mentioned seeing, you know, the British Bulldogs, Hogan, and Andre. And and, uh, as he mentioned on uh, JR's podcast, he goes, hey, you know, I I see money in this. You know, why not me, as he he pointed out. And uh, we've seen what happened since then, and it's really tremendous. 
Because, you know, lots of times today we hear stories about guys who are fans and who grew up watching, and it's amazing to hear a story like Sting where, you know, he didn't grow up watching it. He didn't have access to, uh, you know, to wrestling in his area. And uh, it was really uh, really something new and an unknown, uh, really going into an unknown sort of territory, so to speak, where he didn't know what to expect or how to get into the business or what to do. And it was uh, it was very difficult then. And uh, it's amazing how far he came. He mentioned his first big break uh, with Jerry Jarrett and picking him in the Ultimate Warrior. And I think that uh, that first big break meant a lot to Sting. And I think it shows when WCW went out of business and Sting went over to TNA. And TNA at the time was owned by Jeff Jarrett. And, of course, Jerry Jarrett, you know, had some dealings here and here with uh, TNA. So I think it was really Sting trying to give back to uh, Jerry Jarrett, who gave him his first break and with his son in TNA. And then, of course, with Dixie Carter. And there was a lot of talk about them telling Sting that, you know, listen, we want to get on television, but we don't have any big names. And uh, the network wants a big name. And maybe if you come and join us, the network will pick us up. And, hey, guess what happened? Spike TV all of a sudden picks up TNA Wrestling and moves it to uh, Saturday nights. And then from Saturday nights, they move it to Thursday nights. And uh, it it really its a lot to do with Sting and his loyalty to the company. I think he really believed that the company had a lot of great potential and that it could be, you know, maybe – Maybe not quite like WCW where it was uh, competing with the WWE, but I think he thought he could definitely leave, uh, no pun intended, but I think Sting thought that he could leave an impact with TNA. And uh, I think for the most part he did. He did everything he could for that company, and now it's time where he finally came to the WWE. I mean, uh, as they pointed out, the WWE is a global worldwide phenomenon right now. It is unlike anything that there's no number two uh, compared to the WWE. WWE is number one, and that's really it. I don't know if anyone can compete with the resources and the money that the WWE has today. And uh, Sting, a guy who's never technically stepped foot into a WWE ring, is still widely known by you know fans worldwide. A lot of that has to do with WCW and his time there. He was you know the face of the company at one point. He went through many uh, changes throughout his wrestling career. A lot of people remember the beach blonde sting. They remember the crow sting, and then uh, even in TNA, and he kind of reinvented himself and he did the Joker sting, and he found uh, a way to kind of you know, relate to today's audience. You know, The Crow, a movie that came out in the 90s, maybe doesn't appeal to fans of recent years. So he decided to go with a very popular movie, The Dark Knight and The Joker, uh, Heath Fledger's uh, Joker, and he did Joker Sting. And the fans loved it. It was great. It was new. It was different. I think Sting did some of, uh, some of his best uh, work when he was Joker Sting. His promos were just great. They were entertaining. I mean, he's really come a long way and he's finally here in the WWE, and Stone Cold Steve Austin even asked him during the panel, uh, we all know if you could have one more match, you want it to be Undertaker. Everybody knows that. He's been saying that for years. But let's say you can't get in the ring with Undertaker. Is there anyone else from the WWE you would want to get into the ring with? And he said, you know, I would like to get in the ring with Triple H. I think, 
you know, that would have been a, a great match, you know, you know, a decade ago when WCW was maybe still around and you had Triple H who was becoming the, the new sort of face of the WWE, you know, uh, maybe someone like Shawn Michaels. Unfortunately, Michaels is retired, but uh, just the idea of Shawn Michaels, again, another WWE staple, a guy who's really WWE through and through, and Sting, who's a WCW guy through and through, and to see them clash would just be remarkable. It would be huge. But uh, like I said, Michaels is retired, so I don't know if that will ever happen. But then last but not least, who's the top guy in the WWE today? John Cena. Sting said that you know he wouldn't mind getting in the ring with John Cena if, uh, if it was possible, if they could work things out. But uh, another thing they mentioned was creating stars. Uh, uh, it's really hard to create new stars, and it takes time. And right now, like I said, there's this transitional period where the WWE really needs to create the next big star. And uh, hopefully it maybe it's Roman Reigns, maybe it's Dean Ambrose, maybe it's Cesaro, maybe it's even, you know, Sheamus. Sheamus was a guy who was hot one moment when he debuted. He was immediately pushed to become the WWE champion. He feuded with Cena. He beat Cena. And now he's the United States champion, and nobody even remembers. Uh, nobody cares. But so it's hard to say if, uh, especially now with Brock Lesnar, who's not going to be there every week, you have Sheamus, who is the United States champion. You have Dolph Ziggler, who is the Intercontinental champion. Suddenly those two mid-card titles, titles that maybe nobody had an afterthought about, those titles mean a lot right now because you won't have the WWE champion every week, but you will have the Intercontinental champion. You will have the United States champion. So hopefully, you know, we see more guys step up to the plate and, you know, become the, like I said, be rejuvenated and kind of create and become main eventers again. And it's something that the WWE needs today. They need somebody. And I don't know who they would want to face Sting. Uh, You know, we all want Taker, but whether or not Taker can go, whether or not they just want to close the book on that, uh, whether or not Taker could even pass the physical before next year. Again, these are all issues that, you know, as fans, we just think, hey, let's do it. Why not? You know, but uh, the WWE, they are a public-traded company, and they have to do things by the book. Hogan, if he wants to wrestle one more match, he has to pass the physical. The same goes with Taker, and the same goes with Sting. If ever Sting signs on the dotted line and he is a WWE wrestler and wrestles that one match, He's got to go through the physical too. Everybody has, uh, you know, has to follow the rules and go by the book. And it's just a different era now than it is then. I mean, we heard uh, Austin and Bischoff talk about when Austin was wrestling with a torn tricep. That's something that's not going to happen in today's wrestling. Today's wrestling, you know, if you tear a muscle or something, you're out. They're not going to put you uh, your your life in danger by having you come out there and make the injury even worse. So it's a different time. But uh, it was a really cool interview. I mean, just hearing Jim Ross, who for a lot of fans is a staple of the WWE, talk to Sting. I mean, that was pretty cool to hear Jim Ross and Sting just uh, talk to each other. And it just makes this a lot more real. And we're all very eager and exciting and uh, anticipating when Sting comes in 
and works for the WWE and has that one more match, who will it be against? Maybe it could be against a newcomer like Bray Wyatt, who is very strange and bizarre, and maybe that plays uh, well into Sting's sort of uh, warehouse because we all remember the Crow Sting being very different and quiet and strange, and you know, with the rafters and the, 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 the vulture, and it was just a really great time then, very mysterious character, and Bray Wyatt's a very mysterious character, and maybe Bray Wyatt and Sting could have a very interesting match, and it could be a way to put over that next big star because Sting's always been a company guy. He doesn't mind putting over the young talent, so uh, it could be a very interesting time whenever Sting makes his debut and who he works with. Uh, you know, we're all waiting. We're all just waiting, and this waiting is driving us nuts. Nobody likes to wait. You know, it's not fun. Uh, we want to see it happen now, but uh, unfortunately nothing is really been said and done. Uh, things are still being negotiated. It's a long process, but uh, hopefully if we all get what we want, if Sting gets what he wants, we will see him in the ring soon. I tell you, the excellent scenario would have been uh, Sting to attend the Hogan Bash. Yeah, that would have been uh, great. That would have been great, okay. um, but they didn't do that. They left it with, uh, with Brock, to, Brock to come in to interfere with that. And I thought uh, Sting would have been if excellent. you would have brought up the show, you could have called it Monday Nitro. <laughs> the characters that were in there: Nash, Paul, Flair, Piper, Dean Gene, all all people that are under the uh, WWE network. You know, That's let's right. not forget that. It's a big seller. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so they, they people are of really that cool. era, come join us uh, with that. We got all your old stars and uh, uh, retrospect with, with everything there. It's um, they gain a lot of uh, fans uh, with, with the with that generation. That's what they're trying to do. Looks like because every week, whenever you see Hogan. He's pumping it in. That's what he got as a gift. That nine ninety nine. Mhm. Yeah, and uh, Hogan, like I said, it was very weird starting out the SummerSlam program, saying nine ninety nine, nine ninety nine. And then the next time and, when you uh, see him, he's gonna say the same thing, basically. Yep, and then there'll be more people chanting nine ninety nine. Like, I'm surprised they don't have a T-shirt out that says nine ninety nine. In fact. When the WWE started the new logo, if you go to Stanford, Connecticut, uh, the WWE building over there, of course they have the new WWE logo, but right above the WWE logo is a flag. And you know what it says on that flag? It says 999. I kid you not. There's a picture online of Vince McMahon on the roof of the WWE headquarters with the WWE new logo and the flag that says 999. So as Blackjack said, they are pushing this thing as hard as they can uh, with Hogan coming out and selling it, other superstars selling it. You know, this is what uh, we're going to have to get used to. <laughs> and you notice how they show the uh, the replays so instantaneously. They couldn't do that years ago. Now they can because you're seeing it the night before for, just for 999. So now they'll, they'll give you, like, a great expert excerpts out of that 
out of the show now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but the uh, thing is, like I said, if it only had, was an HBO-like channel, it would have just been ten times greater because, uh, you know, still uh, 80% of the world is hooked on to the Internet, but there's still people that don't know how to use it, quite frankly. Yeah. And uh, the original plan, it was supposed to be like an HBO, and it was mm-hmm. supposed to be on TV, but they never got the right deal. Yeah, so, I lost them. They streaming it on television matches and uh, wow, that would have been really, really cool to uh, see that. And uh, speaking of Bray Wyatt, though, in, in regards, Sting in a recent interview said that he likes Bray Wyatt, he likes the gimmick, and he, would, he wouldn't mind wrestling him. So, yeah, uh, yeah Sting's watching the, the product now more than ever. I think uh, before in WCW and maybe even in TNA, I don't know if he watched, you know, the show. I mean, you're, when you're there and you're competing and you're live, it's hard to really go back and sit and watch. But right now, because he's not wrestling and he's sort of being introduced to the WWE, he's getting used to these characters. And I think he really is looking at who would maybe be the best opponent for him. So maybe he's watching uh, a Bray Wyatt or he's watching a new superstar and seeing whether or not he could gel with them because uh, for the first time in a while, he really is studying uh, the WWE programming. He's watching everything. Absolutely. Um, the uh, WWE 2K15 roster is out, and I believe, J.D., you have it. A lot of uh, fans are into the uh, game. And uh, let's let's hear uh, who is going to be on the the roster when it comes out, uh, what, October? comes out October 28th. And, of course, if you pre-order now, you will get uh, immediately to be able to download the two versions of Sting. You can download the uh, uh, Bleach uh, Beach Blonde Sting, the Stinger, the classic sting, or you can download the crow sting with the white and black face paint uh, and the trench coat. So those you can get only if you pre-order now. Uh, the entire roster, uh, they announced 56 superstars, but I believe they said the roster will have at least a total of 92. So I think the remaining superstars will be uh, yeah. DLC. You don't know what DLC is. It's a downloadable content that will be added after the game is released. But as of right now, the roster for the W2K15 video game is AJ Lee, Alberto Del Rio, Bad News Barrett, Batista, The Big Show, and for the first time ever, Bray Wyatt is in a WWE video game, Brie Bella, Brock Lesnar, Cameron, Cesaro, Chris Jericho, CM Punk, Cody Rhodes, Curtis Axel, Damian Sandow, Daniel Bryan, Darren Young, Dean Ambrose, Dolph Ziggler, Eric Rowan, Fandango, Goldust. Uh, Hulk Hogan will be a part of the roster. However, they are also releasing 
a special edition Hulk Hogan package where if you get the special edition Hulk Hogan package, you will be able to play as uh, modern-day Hulk Hogan, which I think that was the Hogan with the long uh, pant uh, tie-dye tights. You will also get the NWO Hollywood Hogan, but classic WWE Hogan should be in the game automatically. But uh, if you want to get those two other skin packs of Hogan, you have special edition uh, WWE 2K15 video game. Also, Jack Swagger, Jay Uso, Jimmy Uso, John Cena, Justin Gabriel, Kane, which I believe is mask version of Kane. I don't think they have the unmasked corporate uh, authority Kane, but maybe that'll be something they add in the DLC. Kofi Kingston, mm-hmm. Luke Harper, Mark Henry, Naomi, Natalia, Nikki Bella, R-Truth, Randy Orton, Rey Mysterio, Rob Van Dam, Ryback, Santino Morella, Seth Rollins, Shawn Michaels, Sheamus, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Summer Rae, Tamina Snuka, The Miz, The Rock, The Undertaker, Titus O'Neil, Tyson Kidd, Xavier Woods, and of course Triple H. That makes up the roster of W2K15. There should be more names announced, as I mentioned, in DLC. I heard that uh, Ric Flair, Kevin Nash, and Booker T were rumored to be in the game. They went over to 2K to do uh, facial scans. So we, they haven't been announced yet officially, but uh, I'm assuming they will be included. There are some people missing in the game, like There's Adam Martino and... Stan Stasiak, uh, people like that. Yeah, a lot, a lot of legends. Bruno isn't in the game yet. Like I said, some will be announced later on. Some will be released as a part of a DLC, a downloadable content that is released after the game uh, becomes available in October. So there are still names that will be announced in the upcoming months. But for the most part, the main roster of the uh, 56 superstars that I just announced will be in the game. Like I said, there's still about 92 uh, total so there's still a few that they haven't announced yet. And as I mentioned, the DLC being a big part of that when they announce when the game is released. So hopefully we will see uh, Bruno San Martino and others, maybe some of the uh, current NXT guys like Rusev, uh, Paige, and others. Uh, you know, even someone like Christian. Christian's not in the game. Uh, Zack Ryder's not in the game. Uh, Sin Cara's not in the game. They don't even know if uh, Zeb Coulter and Paul Heyman are in the game yet. So there's still more names that will hopefully be announced. But as I mentioned, the main roster, those 56 superstars, those are officially the main roster of the game. Hopefully more will be announced soon. And uh, what's the story, JJ, with the uh, wrestlers taking part in the ASL Challenge? Do you have that yes, story? Uh, Yes, the ASL Challenge is something I just got into uh, at the start of the show. It is uh, something, it's a fundraising campaign that's supposed to uh, spread awareness and uh, help research. Uh, If you've heard of Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, it's a very serious condition. And uh, this this ALS challenge, it's an ice bucket challenge that really went viral on the Internet in the last week or so. Celebrities are doing it. 
Uh, a lot of people are doing it either for fun or not, but uh, a lot of wrestlers have got into it. Wrestlers, as I mentioned, like Triple H, uh, Batista, The Rock, even CM Punk, uh, The Miz. And I believe when The Miz did the Ice Bucket Challenge, he did it with his wife, uh, Maurice. CM Punk did it with his wife, AJ Lee. Uh, Stephanie McMahon did it at SummerSlam, believe it or not. She did it with the four horsewomen. Uh, Ronda Rousey and her other MMA superstars were there, and they dumped the ice water on Stephanie. Uh, Maria Menounos did it. Tori Wilson, Lillian Garcia, David Otunga, Christian, Bo Dallas. Beth Phoenix did the Ice Bucket Challenge with Edge and Christian, so it was kind of cool to see Edge and Christian together again, kind of dumping the ice water on Beth Phoenix. But this is all to uh, spread awareness to ALS, uh, like I said, Lou Gehrig's disease. All these guys that I mentioned who did it also did a donation. You're not just pouring ice on each other and uploading on YouTube. Uh, These guys are making donations and trying to help uh, research Lou Gehrig's disease. How much so is the donation when they put money into that? The donation could be whatever uh, you want. There's no set price. I know some people have donated $100. Some have donated much more than $100. But uh, it's really up to you what you want to donate. Uh, there's no set price. Uh, it's, it's, it's up to you. It's just uh, a way to help spread awareness. I mean, I've never heard this many people talking about uh, Lou Gehrig's disease uh, in years. So I think uh, it's definitely doing its job and it's helping people understand this uh, disease is and how serious it can be and it can really, you know, end people's lives and they're trying to do everything they can to research and to hopefully one day be able to really cure and help uh, anyone who suffers from this horrible disease. Well, I wonder what the next big thing is going to be um, with um donations of that kind and that ice uh, with the bucket is, is amazing. Uh, I'm sure they're going to bring it to an, another level uh, yeah. for another kind of donation, you know? So it's unbelievable yeah, what they do for that kind of attention. Yeah, it really became viral, yeah. and that's really helped the cause. And then that helps, too, with this uh, computer stuff, you know what I'm saying? You can see so much of this stuff on this computer, which still amazes me, you know? This yeah. This is why the world uh, is the way it is getting to be like. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's and, online. Uh, on, on your phones, on a lot of your phones, you could actually watch uh, wrestling, you know? You can your watch phone TV is like a computer now. now. <laughs> yeah, you got right. everything on the computer through the phone, I guess, now, too. It's amazing. Oh. It's amazing what you can do. But uh, TNA is uh, actually moving again, time yep. slot, uh, to uh, tomorrow. Uh, TNA will start to air on Wednesdays now. And I've been yep. told that the reason is because SmackDown is moving to Thursdays again, I heard. So yep. that's... Yeah, so... Starting tomorrow, TNA on Wednesday. So if that's the case, you have uh, Monday Night Raw, then you have, I guess, main event, and then you have uh, um, uh, uh, TNA, and then you have SmackDown. And I would definitely watch SmackDown if it was on Thursdays. 
Just like I said, Friday is an awful night to have wrestling. Yeah. Uh, although DVR, it's not as bad, but it's just not as interesting on a uh, Friday night. And also, the other news in TNA is if uh, they're going to sign Bully Ray because, uh, you know, they're cutting back costs and uh, just around the after Bound for Glory, I believe, his contract is up. So uh, a lot of major contracts in that TNA uh, is going to be ending ending by October. So uh, there'll be some. Uh, don't be surprised if you see certain uh, people like you, you, you mentioned showing up, possibly uh, even by the time of uh, Royal Rumble. Wow! Some people you might see uh, not get their contracts picked up in TNA. Very well could be in. The Royal Rumble. Yeah, it's it's big right now. As as stated before, even if you don't like TNA, it's a separate entity to watch than the same lousy three-hour program, which is called Monday Night Raw. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. Uh, you you know that the the shows that they did were exciting uh, at the New York tapings. And um, you know it's 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 they got a lot of great guys. I mean, yeah, look, they got Lashley now with their world champion, and uh, it's funny they got Lashley there. He's a big guy, and uh, they got Brock in the WWE. And before they had Daniel Bryan, he was a small guy. And at the same time, simultaneously, they had Eli Eric Young. So is that a coincidence, or uh, <laughs> what's the story with that? So uh, yeah, it's, it's funny with uh, I, with, with Bobby Lashley. The thing with Bobby Lashley is Bobby Lashley was the champion before Brock Lesnar. So it's kind of interesting. Before, where Daniel Bryan won the title, and then immediately we saw Eric Young win the title. Here, Bobby Lashley right. was already the champion in TNA, and of course, Bobby Lashley has an MMA background as well. And now we have Brock Lesnar with another MMA background, who is now the champion in WWE. So lots of times we see WWE kind of taking things from TNA or TNA's taking ideas from WWE. I mean, that's just the nature of the, the business. You see what works and what doesn't. So I think they're always sort of, whether they want to admit it or not, they're always sort of complementing each other. Uh, absolutely, and we do hope that TNA stays around uh, and goes as long as it can because, look, it's an alternative. It's something else to watch. It's something else to go to. Uh, you know, if you live here in New York, uh, the shows over there were awesome. And, uh, you I know, you're, you're right there. I thought TNA was going to be out long ago, but uh, it surprised me they are even still around to this day, August uh, 2014. But we'll see what happens past October. Uh, Thank goodness they got the Dudley back on top again. Uh, You got Bubba and you got Devon. They're running that main roster. They're the ones that are carrying the whole ball of wax at this point in time, as far as I'm concerned. What I witnessed at the Manhattan Center, unbelievable. Between the the Dudleys and the Hardys. We'll be back in October. Uh, so, uh, 
then the rest of the summer you'll see everything will be from Manhattan Center, uh, Hardcore Justice this week. And, when do you make uh, your debut the, on there, King? Huh? When do you and Jeff Baker guy make your debut on uh, on that TNA Manhattan Center? Is it this week or next I guess week? By the time they show it, the way they should show it, it'll probably be uh, October. Oh, really? <laughs> the way things are... <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, they were still showing from June 24th, uh, last week. That was oh, yeah. taped from June 24th, which is six weeks difference. So that's pretty long for anything. But uh, in any event, it uh, should be interesting uh, to have that big pay-per-view TNA does um, at uh, Tokyo, in, in Japan, I guess they should say. So yeah, October. They do have a few. What's that, TJ? October 12th uh, in Japan, TNA Bound for Glory. <laughs> Yes, down for glory, and uh, we'll see what happens if Brock Lesnar, uh, it, what's the next pay-per-view called? The next Where pay-per-view in the, September should be Night of Champions. Night of Champions should be interesting if Lesnar's even on that show, because uh, as of now, he hasn't been uh, doing any of that. I and wonder, of course, wonder if they uh, put him against that Rusev, who will be the good guy in, in that situation? That's interesting. I mean, right now, Rusev, of course, is anti-America, uh, and Brock Lesnar just beat John Cena, so the fans were actually cheering Lesnar. I mean, if you heard uh, on Monday Night Raw and I heard at SummerSlam, when Brock won the title, the fans at the, or, uh, the, fans at the Staples Center we're actually doing the na 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 goodbye uh, chant to John Cena. They want him gone, so they were cheering uh, Brock Lesnar. So it's very curious that if Rusev were to be the next guy in line, uh, would the fans cheer Brock Lesnar? Because you know Brock Re- uh, Lesnar, he's still you know he's American, and you know Rusev is being promoted as this you know Russian Bulgarian. So uh, it would be very interesting, but. Uh, I don't know if, if we'll see that. Uh, and one thing I want to say before uh, we close is SummerSlam was announced that next year, finally, uh, the past six years, SummerSlam has been a part of Los Angeles. It's been at the Staples Center. But next year they will break tradition. SummerSlam in 2015 will be in New York, New Jersey. Now, whether or not that's the uh, IZOD Center in New Jersey or the uh, Barclay Center in New York. Uh, they haven't really announced uh, an arena yet, but SummerSlam will be on the East Coast for the first time in years. So that's uh, that's definitely news. Yeah, uh, 2007 uh, that started in Cali, and then they haven't looked back since. So uh, that'd be great if it's in Brooklyn or Jersey. Um, just for a change of venue, I mean, yeah. Hey, I don't know why they they do that. It, it's good to to, to change venues, and 
we'll definitely see what happens. Uh, Dean Ambrose, just to wrap up, I think you're going to start seeing him getting super pushed to a world title status because uh, he was already in the main event yesterday. So yeah. look for that. And uh, don't forget, tomorrow night we have Joey Jackson that you see on CNN uh, to talk about this big story uh, in Ferguson with the uh, Michael Brown shooting. Catch that tomorrow night at 10 p.m. At 9 p.m., excuse me, Eastern Standard Time and 6 p.m. on the West Coast. But uh, as far as uh, for wrestling, uh, that just about does it. Uh, we will be back here next week, same time, same place, same channel. Uh, so I want to thank JJ and everybody else for joining us here tonight. Yeah, thank you, King. Thank you, Brother JJ. Pleasure, King. Uh, thank you, guys, man. Oh, no question about it. We will uh, definitely speak to you. Uh, speak to you uh, one week from today and don't forget tomorrow night is what is tomorrow night with TNA do you know any of the uh, matches uh, JJ I know it is a hardcore justice Uh, I'm not sure what the the matches uh, will be but I believe they said that Dixie Carter uh, may be appearing in some form to talk about being put through a table so uh, we'll be seeing Dixie Carter for the first time, I think, tomorrow on the special uh, Wednesday edition of Impact Wrestling. Oh, wow. That should be uh, and will be interesting. Okay, I'm going to leave you uh, with the Ferguson story and a little preview for tomorrow's show. Once again, thanks to JJ Blackjack. Uh, I hope Dominic comes back next week, and we'll speak to you guys tomorrow at 9 p.m. sharp. Take care, guys. Good night. Well, it's been days of clashes between officers in riot gear and angry protesters after the unarmed 18-year-old Michael Brown was shot and killed Saturday by a police officer in Ferguson, Missouri. This is another example uh, where sports and the world news collide. Some athletes have reacted to the Brown shooting uh, as they did when Trayvon Martin was shot and killed in Florida. Here's the question we're asking. Do you believe more athletes should be speaking out? Stephen A., I'll give it to you, and uh, and I'm sure you're aware of this. Just moments ago, uh, the police in Ferguson uh, released the name of the officer who was involved in the shooting. It's a six-year veteran. His name is uh, Darren Wilson. I'll turn it over to you. Should athletes be speaking out? Well, the, my answer to that, Kerry and Skip, would be absolutely they should be speaking out. But we have a responsibility to speak out intelligently and, more importantly, responsibly. Nobody needs to be advocating violence. We need to follow the lead of our president, Barack Obama, when he talked about how everybody has to conduct themselves in an orderly manner. Uh, peaceful protesters should not have excessive force used against them by the police. But at the same time, there's an obligation for uh, the American citizens and, and the citizens of Ferguson, Missouri, to make sure that they don't try to inflict any kind of violence uh, upon the police department, local police officers. It's one thing to want the hide of the police officer in question who actually shot Michael Brown. It's another thing entirely 
to believe that that gives you a license uh, to, to vandalize property, to loot stores and things of that nature. There's no excuse for that, and there's no reason uh, that that's something like that should be, t to, should be transpiring and taking place. I answer that question in the affirmative as it pertains to athletes uh, uh, needing to speak out because in the days, uh, in the age of social media, every time we turn around, they have something to say. It's usually about the most innocuous things you could possibly fathom. But at the same time, they do so because they believe that they have a voice. They believe that they don't necessarily need the media to disseminate their message to the masses. So this is an opportunity for them to do that, similar to what the Miami Heat collectively did with the whole Trayvon Martin situation. They simply put hoodies on, they banded together, and they put out that Instagram photo, I believe it was Instagram or it was on Twitter, where they were unified um, in bringing, in their willingness to bring attention to an issue before leaving it to the courts. Nobody spoke out of turn. Nobody spoke irresponsibly. Nobody on the Miami Heat or anybody associated with the NBA, uh, you know, just... Um you know, promote it or, or try to provoke it or incite any kind of violence whatsoever. When you have a voice, you have a responsibility that comes along with that. And so what I would say is that obviously it breaks my heart to see yet another young African-American male gunned down. There's no denying that. Whatever way they want to slice it, whether it's murder, it's manslaughter, or whatever's going to follow, the bottom line is young Mr. Brown is dead. He's 18 years old. And according to witnesses, he was unarmed. Uh, somebody has to pay a price for that. But we have to remember that in the United States of America, we can bring attention to those things. But our system of justice has the onus and responsibility to handle that. Our job is to bring attention to it, to make sure that they go about their business of trying to ensure that happens, not trying to invoke it or, or, or push or, or do it ourselves.